Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. The Georgia grand jury, which has been investigating former President Donald Trump's alleged efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Trump is now charged with racketeering, violating oath of office and other charges in a bid to overturn the 2020 election. Trump has repeatedly denied any wrongdoing and is accusing the DA of pursuing the case out of political animus. Given the chance to not crawl into bed with Donald Trump, would you do it all over again? I, there's no doubt about it. I, for, first of all, I don't. I don't know that I ever think that way. You know, like you could go back. You've got to deal with what what you did or they did, and, uh, and you got to deal with the situation you're in. Uh, but even that, even though you try to act that way, you always go back and say, "Would I? Should I?" Yeah, I think I am honored to be involved in this because I feel like I'm helping my country, and I feel like we are in a terrible crisis, much greater than the vast majority of people realize. I don't think we're fighting off some form of fascism or communism. I think we're living it. In Maui, you can add a sense of abandonment to the cascade of emotions sweeping over devastated communities. As survivors and residents learn more about warning sirens that never sounded, evacuations that never came, hydrants that nearly ran dry and what may have been underestimations of the risk the island faced that day. Uh, apocalyptic is is probably one of the best words to describe uh, the, the absolute devastation that has occurred here. Uh, you know, the, the community here on Maui is very tight-knit. It is inspiring to see their resilience, even in the face of this uh, unprecedented disaster, but really how they're, they're stepping up, uh, even those who have lost everything, just trying to help each other uh, and help their neighbors. There is Sid Rosenberg. You know Sid Rosenberg. He wants me to tell everyone that this is his big screen debut. It's called Inside Man. It's an indie thriller. Whatever the hell that means. His character, what's his character? His character is a Brooklyn bartender frequented by Gambinos. Yeah, well, like naturally. What else? He'd play maybe a harpist? Photographs and memories. Christmas cards you sent to me. All that I have are these to remember you. Memories that come at night. Take me to another time, back to a happier day, when I called you mine. But we sure had a good time when we started way back when. Morning walks and bedroom talks, oh how I loved you then. Summer skies and lullabies. Nights we couldn't say goodbye And of all of the things that we knew Not a dream survived Well, they used to say Death and taxes Can't avoid them, they're coming Death and taxes Now you can add a third And that would be Donald Trump indictments Death, taxes, and Donald Trump indictments Yes, folks it has now happened, as we've been talking about forever, for the fourth time. 
I think the only shocker yesterday was they actually indicted 18 others, 19 in all, and uh, two of those guys, former chief of staff Mark Meadows, and, of course, our dear friend Rudy Giuliani. He was on with me just yesterday, and you heard him in the open put together so nicely by Justin Ellick. I asked him the question flat out. Basically, do you regret the day you called into bed with Donald Trump? And he said, no, I don't, because I'm doing the right thing for our country. And Donald Trump is a victim. He's not a criminal, despite what the people in Georgia, Washington, D.C., Miami, and New York want you to believe. None of this is surprising, but it is all nauseating. Now, I didn't sit here and read the whole indictment. Alan Dershowitz needs to do that. Joseph Takapina, Arthur Idala, maybe a guy like Greg Kelly because he's on TV. I don't know. I mean, give me a break. <laughs> I didn't sit and read the whole thing. I knew it was coming. I know what this is all about. The left's attempt, the DOJ's attempt to almost disqualify Donald Trump from running for president. We knew this, dating all the way back to the first indictment, that ridiculous charge brought by the fat loser, Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg. We didn't need to see the documents case, the Mar-a-Lago case, this Georgia case, to figure out what the hell is going on here. I don't care what Joe and Mika are saying right now, or CNN, or even that little leprechaun Pat Kiernan on New York One. I don't care. These four indictments are exactly what President Trump has been saying all along, what Rudy Giuliani said on this show yesterday, and that is a desperate attempt to make sure the man who was clobbering every other Republican and right now seems to have the inside track at returning to the presidency, a desperate attempt to make sure none of that happens. I'm sorry, but... When I got to work this morning, after having a really good time at the Mets game last night with my really, really close friend, Anthony Carone, and Governor David Patterson, who's just a sweetheart. What a great guy, Governor David Patterson, just a sweetheart. And a guy that a lot of you know in this town named Keith Kantrowitz. They were actually his tickets. What a great time last night. In fact, tell you a funny story, Lou, you'll like this. We decide in the second inning, it starts to rain a little bit, we're all hungry, that Keith, me, Carone, and Patterson are going to go inside to Pat LaFrieda's chop house inside City Field and have dinner. So we're sitting there, and there's only about three or four tables. A lot of empty seats last night, Monday night, Pittsburgh Pirates, Met season basically over. But we're having dinner, and next to us, I noticed, is a table of about five people enjoying a birthday celebration. And who is it? a guy that I've known for the better part of 25 years, always very good to me, going back to my days when the Mets were on WFAN. I call him Mr. Met, the real Mr. Met, Jay Horowitz. You were going to get it? Yes. Jay Horowitz sitting right next to us and uh, celebrating his birthday last night. There's a great picture of me and Horowitz on Instagram and Facebook this morning, Instagram at Rosenberg.Sydney, Sid Rosenberg on Facebook. Once again, you want to follow me, Instagram, at Rosenberg.Sydney, Facebook, Sid Rosenberg. So Horowitz actually uh, had a bunch of cupcakes for his birthday, and one of the ladies 
he was celebrating with, it must have been a relative, I forget exactly how they're related, Jackson dropped off a bunch of cupcakes at our table from me, Keith Kantrowitz, uh, Anthony Carone, and Governor David Patterson. So it was a great time. Good I picture. mean, a really good time. Good picture. Is that a good picture? Yeah, you guys look good. Yeah, he he, good. he's. I love him. Man, how long has he been with the Mets? Forty-something years, I believe. <laughs> now he's only in the office now. He's really retired, yeah, but he still shows up three days a week. He's in the office about three days a week. So... <laughs> So, you know, I'm driving home with Anthony and Mo, and I know what's going on. The indictment, here we go again. So when I got in this morning, I got to tell you, as all these stations are freaking out, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, New York One, for me, it was ho-hum. The shock and awe is gone. Now, you show me video of what's going on right now in Maui, that's shock and awe. That's shock and awe. You show me video of 50 animals, that's what they are, breaking into a Nordstrom in Los Angeles and stealing stuff in broad daylight. That's shock and awe. President Trump getting indicted again? Ho-hum. Ho-hum. But if you want to hear the details, that's why we're here. Not just to entertain and provoke, but to provide information, I guess, so this is uh, the latest culprit in these Trump indictments, Fulton County, D- Fulton County DA Fannie Willis. And here she announces the actual indictment, which includes 19 people. Lewis, Fannie Willis, cut number one. Today, based on information developed by that investigation, a Fulton County grand jury returned a true bill of indictment, charging 19 individuals with violations of Georgia law arising from a criminal conspiracy to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election in this state. The indictment includes 41 felony counts and is 97 pages long. She goes on in this next cut to actually read the names of the 19 indicted. Again, the three big names, President Trump, our dear friend Rudy Giuliani, and Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, Fannie Willis, Fulton County DA Lewis, cut number two. Specifically, the indictment brings felony charges against Donald John Trump. How about saying President Trump? William Lewis Giuliani, John Charles Eastman, Mark Randall Meadows, John Cheeseborough. Now, shut up, God. What a a, a disrespectful douche. He's still President Trump. You can charge him with nine million counts of whatever nonsense you want to charge him with. You should address him, lady, as President Donald Trump, doucheface. And somehow, look, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know the law. Somehow they, they, they attached a racketeering charge as one of the charges. Maybe this Fannie Willis is going to explain that here. This is Fannie Willis Lewis talking about racketeering, cut number three. Every individual charged in the indictment. Hold on a second. Char- everybody, anybody else can't, I can't stand her voice. As soon as she said every, every hair on the back of my neck just stood up. Not a good speaker. Oh, my God. Every. <laughs> Play it again, number three. <laughs> it's going to be okay. <laughs> Every.
every individual charged in the indictment is charged with one count of violating Georgia's Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act through participation in a criminal enterprise in Fulton County, Georgia, and elsewhere to accomplish the illegal goal of allowing Donald J. Trump President to seize Trump. the presidential term of office beginning on January 20th, 21. These people, Fannie Willis and Jack Smith and Alvin Bragg, shut up, and Merrick Garland, all these people are treasonous, backstabbing, America-hating criminals. Fannie Willis, the Fulton County DA, she's the real criminal here, not Donald Trump. Do you understand, Norm Layden, this racketeering charge? I don't. I don't understand it. As somebody smarter and more lawyerly might be able to explain it Oh, yeah, I'm going to bring Dershowitz on at 840, and he should be able to explain it. But usually you hear racketeering charges with uh, talking about inside man with mobsters. Right. Not the former presidents accused of trying to rig an election. Here is uh, one of my favorites, Ted Cruz. And he says, which is true, this Trump indictment is a disgrace. Lewis Ted Cruz, cut number six. I'm pissed. I'm pissed at these over and over and over again. If they're indictments tonight, it'll be the fourth indictment of Donald Trump. This is disgraceful. Our country is over 200 years old. We have never once indicted a former president or a candidate and a leading candidate for president. And this is Joe Biden and this is the Democrats weaponizing the justice system because they're afraid of the voters. This is disgraceful. It is wrong and it is an abuse of power by angry Democrats who have decided the rule of law doesn't matter to them anymore. Alan Dershowitz will join me coming up at 840. I noticed lately, uh, John, I know you're listening, John Katsimatidis, my guy, that when I have people on the next day, for example, Alan Dershowitz and Tulsi Gabbard today, they're on Katz and Cosby the night before. (laughs) Have you noticed that? So Alan Dershowitz was on Katz and Cosby last night talking about the Trump indictment. Lewis, Alan Dershowitz, cut number eight. What Trump is essentially being charged with is contesting an election. I contested the election of 2000. I was one of the lawyers for the Palm Beach voters who contested the butterfly ballot. And the way you contest an election is you put up a slate of alternate electors, and then either Congress or the courts decide which slate to count. That's the appropriate way to do it. They are not fake electors. They're alternate electors. They're not fake electors. Of course they're not. They're fake electors in the minds only of people who want to use that kind of word to to, uh, you know, color the situation. But uh, that's the way you challenge elections. And, you know, if you can prove specific perjury or specific forgery, okay, that's one thing. But what they seem to be charging here is just a replica of what's charged in the District of Columbia. You want to go back and hear that phone call with uh, Donald Trump asking the Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Rappensperger, to help him find... I guess uh, 12,000 or 112,000, I forget the number of votes. There was nothing wrong with that phone call, just like there was nothing wrong with the phone call Trump made to Zelensky way back when, which, of course, the Democrats impeached him for. There was nothing wrong with this phone call that ends up in an indictment. But if you want to hear it, here it is, Donald Trump and Brad Rappensperger years ago, right after he lost Georgia. Cut number seven. They are shredding ballots, in my opinion, based on what I've heard, and they are removing machinery 
uh, and they're moving it as fast as they can, both of which are criminal fines, and you can't let it happen, and you are letting it happen. You know, I mean, I'm notifying you that you're letting it happen. So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more that we have, because we won the state. So he said, I just want to find those 11,000 votes. I don't, I didn't hear him say, go find 11,000 votes. Find a way to get me 11,000 votes. I didn't hear him say that. Did you, Lewis? I'm, I mean, I am losing my hearing. I'm getting older. Um, I, I, well, no. I heard it a long time. I didn't hear that. No. No, okay. So. But, I, I so think, what's the problem? I think when you what did start, he do wrong? No, I just think when you start saying we got to fi- please uh, find me some votes, yeah, you got well, yeah. you're, you're you're going into a bad. Uh, you oh, know. so you're okay with this indictment? No, no, did not say that. <laughs> did not say that. Well, you're kind of leaning in that direction. No, I go piece by piece. Yeah. I was okay until you got to that part. You didn't like that? No, of course not. Okay. Hey, look, I got to find Rosenberg. Well, I got to uh, find it. So what? He didn't say find them for me. He didn't say make sure you add them. All right. Okay. Oh, listen, words matter. When you're in a courtroom, words matter. Understood. Yes. I agree with it's one that. Thing, it's you... one thing to sound a little shady. It's another thing to be indicted. To be shady. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. right. That's so that's, uh, that's the big story today. Trump and 18 others charged in this sweeping uh, Georgia indictment. But, of course, me, I'm still focused on Maui. And uh, Tulsi Gabbard has never been on this show before. She makes her debut on Sitting Friends in the Morning, coming up in about 45 minutes, live from Hawaii at 7.05 this morning. Once again, she was on with Katz, Katz and Cosby yesterday, and she talked about the wildfire aftermath, and she used a word, she used a word, which is a very, very scary word, and really describes just how bad the scene is in Maui. This is Tulsi Gabbard Lewis, cut number 14, courtesy of Katz. And Cosby. Uh, apocalyptic is is probably one of the best words to describe uh, the the absolute devastation that has occurred here. Uh, you know, the the community here on Maui is very tight knit. It is inspiring to see their resilience even in the face of this us unprecedented disaster. But really, how they're they're stepping up, uh, even those who have lost everything, just trying to help each other uh, and help their neighbors. So while all this is going on. They keep asking FEMA, when is President Joe Biden going to go visit Maui? I just saw that. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. Remember East Palestine, Pennsylvania? Joe Biden never went. Oh, he went to Ukraine, gave Zelensky a big check, took a nice photo, never went to East Palestine. And his transportation secretary, Pete Buttigieg, he never went either. He eventually went, but that was long after a Republican candidate named Donald Trump ended up in East Palestine, Ohio. Here we go again. Another American city, not Ukraine, another American city on fire, people dead everywhere, and no sign of the president. And that's exactly why Donald Trump on his social media, Truth Social, attacked Joe Biden, deservedly so, yesterday. This is Trump on the Hawaii disaster. This is cut number 15. I would like to express my sympathy and warmest regards to the people of Hawaii 
and specifically all of those who have been so gravely and irreparably hurt by the tragedy of the wildfires in Maui, something the likes of which have seldom been seen anywhere at any time. The death caused by this catastrophic event will be far worse than ever expected now that houses and cars and other areas are being inspected. The sad thing is it should never have happened. Our government was not prepared. And very importantly, the aftermath is going very poorly with the governor of the island wanting to do nothing but blame it on global warming and other things that just happened to pop into his head. When asked about it today, as he was getting into a car, perhaps coming home from the beach, where he has been spending a great deal of time, Crooked Joe Biden, the most incompetent president in the history of our country, with a laugh and a smile, said he had no comment on the death and the tragedy. To say no comment is oftentimes fine, but to be smiling when you say it, especially against such a tragedy as this, is absolutely horrible and unacceptable. It is a disgraceful thing that Joe Biden refuses to help or comment on the tragedy in Maui, just as he refused to help or comment on the train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, for a very, very long time. In any event, hopefully everyone will be able to pull together so that a horrible situation does not get even worse. To the families affected, I give you my love and sympathy. Nothing can ever replace your loved ones. But you will always have the memories and will feel their great love surrounding and embracing you. Together, we will continue to carry their legacy forward. And I love you all very much. Thank you. Nice job there, President Trump. So those are the two major stories. The fourth indictment for President Trump and the Maui situation, which is getting worse, not better. That sets up a great show today. Curtis Sliwa, usually on at 7.05. He did us a favor this morning. He's going to hop on this hour at 6.45 and pave the way for Tulsi Gabbard, live from Hawaii, to make her debut coming up at 7.05 this morning. The great Bo Deedle coming up at 7.40. Attorney Alan Dershowitz, he'll be here at 8.40. And my friend, the former governor, David Patterson, who once again, along with Anthony Carone and Keith Kantrowitz, joined me at the Mets game last night. Governor David Patterson coming up at 9.10. The number is always 1-800-848-WABC, 1-800-848-9222. It's a Tuesday morning with me, Sid Rosenberg, and the late, great Jim Croce, exclusively right here on Talk Radio 77, WABC. I've got a song. Like the will and the babies cry I've got a song I've got a song And I carry it with me and I sing it loud If it gets me nowhere I know they're proud Moving me down the highway Seventy-seven WABC. Hi, it's Cowboys legend Emmitt Smith, and this is Sid in the morning. Let me do that again. 
Hi, it's Cowboys legend Emmitt Smith, and this is Sid and Friends in the Morning on 77 WABC. Oh, and by the way, I am way more famous than Sid. Genesis Emmett Smith, Dallas Cowboy running back. There is some NFL news. Former Dallas Cowboy running back Ezekiel Elliott. Zeke has now signed with Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. So Zeke moves from the NFC East to the AFC East. And locally, big signing for the Jets. They continue to make a lot of noise this offseason. Four-time, four I should say, four-time Pro Bowl running back, former Florida State and Minnesota Vikings star Dalvin Cook is now a New York Jet. And if this kid, Brees Hall, comes back, he was not good. He was great, great. But he suffered a devastating knee injury rookie season, I believe, out of Iowa State. If Hall comes back and you've got a one-two punch of Hall and Cook with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback and a bevy of talented wide receivers, led by maybe the best young receiver in the game. He's up there, Garrett Wilson. That Jet offense is going to be very, very tough to stop. So Dalvin Cook, now a New York Jet. Any thoughts on, on that, Justin Ellick, before your big guys across the glass podcast coming ah, up with Eric enough. Salas? That's close enough. Uh, no, I totally agree with you. That's going to be a great one-two punch in the backfield. He's going to be back, Bryce, uh, Brees Hall. He'll probably be back at... Uh, when uh, can Cook play for the Jets? Uh, I think he's still dealing with a back or a shoulder issue, something like that. Yeah. So he's going to be a couple weeks. couple of weeks. But he'll be he'll be ready for week one, and then Brees Hall will be week two, week three latest, I would think. Is that what you're hearing? Or? Well, it's ten months, week one. It will yeah. be ten, almost ten and a half months. Since well, we're going to talk to Joe Nolan, who not only does traffic, but he's the PA voice of your New York football Jets. He was off yesterday, but he's back today, and he may know these specifics. If anyone does, it'll be him, right? Yeah, I'd say so. He the man. He is the man. Yes, indeed. Joe Nolan. He co. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Trump was indicted again four times. Maui is still a very, very difficult situation. But listen, folks, while all this is going on, this reprobate, this Joe Biden, your president, who what Donald Trump accused him of doing is exactly what he did when he dragged his wrinkled, bald, old ass off the beach and was asked about the Maui disaster, he did, in fact, smile and grin and say no comment. No comment. And don't forget, they can indict Trump every day, and they do, four times now. Joe Biden is in some real trouble. Bill O'Reilly says it every day. Quote, Joe Biden is in some real trouble. 
So while MSNBC and CNN will spend hours and hours and hours annoying my fine friends and listeners like Rightway Joe and Lynn, truth is people like me are going to be quick to say, well, hold on a second, you've indicted Donald Trump on a bunch of nonsense when the president, he's the guy that has committed real criminal activity, taking millions of dollars, millions. It's not about Hunter. It's about Joe. Even Joe Rogan, the overrated podcast guy that for some reason everybody loves, I don't get it. To me, he's kind of boring and not even all that bright. But his numbers are outrageous. People love him. Even Rogan said the other day that Joe Biden is undeniably corrupt. And Rogan is no Donald Trump lover. Joe Rogan, the most popular podcast in the world, cut number 11. Joe Biden's been a goof his whole career. He's always been a goof. He's always been he's been caught lying so many times. He's so full of There's so much evidence he's corrupt. Just undeniable evidence of corruption. And the stuff with him and his son, and then the, the guy who just testified that was business partners with uh, with Hunter. Yeah. We talked about all the different things that Joe was involved with. Devin Archer. Yeah. yeah. It's undeniable. And the fact that they that mainstream news is ignoring this, except for right-wing media, it's crazy. So Alan Dershowitz, who's set to join me coming up at 840 this morning, he was on with Mark Levin on uh, that Levin show on Sunday nights on Fox News, talking about the Hunter Biden case moving to Los Angeles. And that may mean that the feds found something. This is Levin and Dershowitz Lewis, cut number nine. What do you make of this appointment of the special counsel for Hunter Biden the other day? This is possibly a big deal. It's not just the technical change, because they've dropped the current indictment and they've vitiated the plea bargain, which I predicted they would. I said right from the beginning, this plea bargain is not going to last. And now they're moving the case to the Central District of California. That means that the special counsel probably found something, maybe a smoking gun, maybe just a gun. Who knows? But something new has occurred to bring about this switch. We all know, of course, that this special, uh, special counsel, David Weiss, nothing special about him. This is another rigged job, another Biden buddy. Nothing's going to be investigated. Nothing's going to happen. And Ted Cruz was quick to make that point on Sunday morning on Fox. The David Weiss uh, appointment is at the very least inappropriate. Cut number 12. Well, this appointment is camouflage and it's cover up. I, I, I think it's disgraceful. Listen, David Weiss was the U.S. attorney handpicked to lead this investigation, who spent the last five years covering it up. David Weiss, who was personally selected by the two Democrat senators from Delaware, Tom Carper and Chris Coons, for five years the investigation has gone nowhere other than to protect Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. Not only that, David Weiss is the one that is subject to two whistleblower complaints from senior career IRS officials who came forward. They said they'd never seen an investigation like this in their entire time in law enforcement. They said that the Department of Justice, lawyers working for David Weiss, protected the Biden family, that they gave heads up 
to Hunter Biden before search warrants were executed, presumably so that he could hide incriminating evidence, that they refused to allow them to ask any questions at all about the big guy, about Joe Biden, that, the, that they were focused on, you cannot inquire into President Joe Biden's personal corruption. And, and the result of all of that is that David Weiss either was an active participant in covering up this criminality and protecting Joe Biden in, in engaging in obstruction of justice. That's option one. Or option two, he wasn't the driver. He was just complicit. He was so weak that he couldn't stop the partisans in Maine justice from turning it into a political effort to protect Joe Biden. Either case, he is a wildly inappropriate person to be a special counsel. All right, so you're all caught up. You've got the Trump once again indicted for the fourth time. <clears throat> Excuse me, one of 19, including Mark Meadows and Rudy Giuliani, the wildfire situation in Hawaii, and the Joe slash Hunter Biden situation as well. Traffic uh, with Joe Nolan coming up next, and then the one-two punch of Curtis Sliwa and Tulsi Gabbard. But right now it's time for the 77 WABC minicast clip of the day. Everything you need to know in under 10 New York minutes. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and get the max out of mini. Listen anytime on the 77 WABC app. Today's mini cast is our good buddy, the host of The Other Side of Midnight, Frank Morano. Here he talks with Dr. Andrew Salapak. Evidence suggests social media is serving as an accelerant to violence. Taunts that once could be forgotten now live on before large audiences, prompting people to to take action. Have you looked at this at all, Andrew? And and do you think that this article has any merit? Well, uh, you know, to kind of go take a step back to some of the things that you were saying originally, um, what, you know, is social media positive, negative? Um, You know, at the end of the day, social media, you can look at it from a a utopian perspective of all the wonderful things it can do. You can look at it from the dystopian perspective of all the negative things it has done. And that's because social media at the end of the day is a tool just like any other tool. This is Sid on Sports. Sponsored by Fearless Boilers on 77 WABC. Justin Ellick here with your bottom of the hour sports update. Sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Spoilers. Go to PeerlessSpoilers.com, PavilionTanklets.com to find a deal on near you. They're the world's best built boilers, as previously mentioned. Here, more big news coming out of Jets land with free agent running back Dalvin Cook planning to sign a one-year deal worth up to $8.6 million with New York. A source did reveal last night after spending almost a full day at the Jets facility last month, a 28-year-old four-time pro bowler has decided that he wants a taste of what Aaron Rodgers and his new-look offense are cooking up for Gang Green. The move comes after the, the veteran quarterback, Rodgers, that is, volunteered to take a $35 million pay cut, creating financial flexibility to sign big-ticket players such as Cook. Cook will be joining a budding star back, Brees Hall, in a now very enticing Jets backfield. That is, of course, upon Hall's return from ACL surgery. To the Diamond in Queens we go now, where the Mets grabbed their second straight victory, beating the Pirates by a score of 7-2 to two in the first of three with Pittsburgh. Brendan Nimmo, Daniel Vogelbach, and Jonathan Arauz all went deep for New York and en route to the win. On the hill, the bullpen had to pick up a labor in Carlos Carrasco, who exited after only three innings of work, and they were able to do just that in shutting out Pittsburgh from that point on. The Mets will see if they can make a three straight in the middle game with Pittsburgh tonight, scheduled for a 7-10 p.m. first pitch. 
David Peterson is set to start against Pittsburgh's Bailey Falter for the Yankees. They lose to the Braves by a score of 11 to 3. And Atlanta Clark Schmidt, he didn't have it on the bump, allowing eight runs on nine hits while uh, failing to get out of the third inning. The Bomber Bats contributed some with their 11 hits on the night. Not much to show for it, just the three runs. And now the Yankees 16-59, just one game over 500. They fall another half game back for the last American League wildcard spot. Now uh, the def- that deficit is up to five and a half. They'll see if they can rebound tonight in game two with Atlanta. Set for a 7.20 p.m. first pitch. Luis Sofrino versus Bryce Elder in that one. Sports sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Spoilers. Go to PeerlessSpoilers.com for WilliamTanglis.com. Found a dealer near you. They're the world's best built boilers. And I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. The digital dollar could give the feds control of your money. Get the digital dollar report. Call 1-800-862-6970 and also receive a $1,000 credit from Priority Gold to protect your money. Or just go to digitaldollarreport.com. Please note the information provided does not constitute financial or investment advice. 77 WABC. This is Sit and Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. To the migrants, don't come around here no more. Curtis Sleva is usually on 7.05 every weekday morning, and it's a big deal. He's the man, but he's been kind enough this morning to move his segment back about 20 minutes because Tulsi Gabbard out of Hawaii is about to make her debut on this program coming up in about 15 minutes. Curtis, of course, gets great ratings noon to 1 every weekday afternoon all weekend long on the overnights, but arguably, actually according to him, he does his best work right here with me every weekday morning. Let me start with this before you get to the migrants and your big night tomorrow night. Your ears must have been ringing at about 8.30 last night. Yes, it was. Because there we were at Pat Lafrida's Chop House having dinner, me, Keith Kantrowitz. Oh, God. Anthony Carone. No, Hot Tub Anthony. And Governor David Patterson. My husband-in-law. And your name came up about five times. I will say this. They all like you. Yeah. They think you're insane, and they're right. You are. They all like you. And what you're going to do now is probably eviscerate every one of them. Well, wait a second. Was Jay Horowitz flirting with you, uh, offering you one of his cupcakes? uh... (laughs) Yeah, Jay was there. Happy birthday, Jay Jay Horowitz. Jay Horowitz always had a thing for you, Sid. You know that. That is true. He'd get in the hot tub with you and Anthony (laughs) Carone in a millisecond. Anthony looks really good. He's tan. I bet. Dresses nicely. Yeah. Smells good. I'll bet, man. Uh, You guys, you met met heterosexuals. All three of those Carone brothers. Frank Anthony and Joseph are good-looking guys. Joseph wearing the ankle bracelet. Joseph still wearing the ankle bracelet. He does not. He's never gone to jail ever in his life. Stop saying that. Well, all three of them should. But anyway, so you're (laughs) sitting there with Keith Kantrowitz, 
who grew up in the Glenwood Housing Projects, went to South Shore, knew all the wise guys there. Yeah. He claims that at one point uh, he actually allowed you to use his office. Yes, yes, for the Guardian Angel. In the Absolutely. Trump Tower. That's where I met uh, the Carones. That's where I met the Carones, you know, many times, because they do business together. They're the ones who provided... Comrade Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor, the dope from Bark Slope, is two mortgages That is there. not true. Yes, uh, it is no, true. No, it's not. I found out last night. Oh, neither please. Frank or Anthony did those mortgages. Did Keith? Neither one. Did Frank Sedio, the former crooked nope. uh, chief nope. of the King's Cat. Come on, you nope. believe that propaganda. No, 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 oh, no, tell me David facts. Patterson did it, who can't even see, right? <laughs> Boy, you are such a sucker. And they bribe you what? With a Pittsburgh Pirate game? Have they even won a game? Uh, this year. Oh, my God, did, you get, did they have you in the uh, front? Oh, man, I know where they probably had you, the John Franco box, the Banano no, Crime Family no box. box. We actually sat outside oh. about eight rows from the field. Oh, Cantwitz has great seats. Were they like the three kings bringing you gifts, <laughs> you know, to the, yes. to the, the Jewish baby yes. Jesus? There's a lot sit, of very famous people there. Trying to encourage you, come on, patch it up with uh, Eric Adams. Because no. all three of them, big supporters of Eric Adams. Not really true. Big Supports. No, you're wrong about that. In fact, I've had private conversations with two of them who remain nameless who are actually a little disappointed in what Eric Adams has been doing. Okay, as are of they going to vote for me? Would they vote for you? Yeah, because well, they're going mean, to have uh, one or two choices, right? It's well, like either I, I, Eric Adams running for re-election or Curtis Lee. We're well, going to get him again. This. I don't think uh, voting for you is out of the question. But when you go on the air and say one of their brothers has been arrested, which he never has, that's not going to help you in getting well, more votes. Well, look, just because <laughs> I said he had a fortune off ankle bracelet, it it's could mean true. that he swings a lot of different ways. Yeah. Why do you immediately imply that he's on house arrest? Well, that's what you said, not look, me. In this day and age of non-binaries, transgenders, <laughs> if you had three brothers, what's the likelihood that one went in a different direction? Honestly, very, very good, but not in this case. Well, These I, are three men's men. But I know this guy can't with it's funny you say because we started discussing uh gemini lounge yes and we discussed you lived right there right we discussed the canarsie days and they knew you from the canarsie days and uh, he did know a lot of those guys i mean everywhere i go these days everybody from brooklyn knew these guys yes. all of them the gemini lounge the killers of all killers joey test anthony center hey anthony i know you're in allenwood I'm not writing a letter to have you released. Would you please lose my number? See, I heard last night that he's about to get released. Yeah, you see, but he's, keep, hey, Curtis, can you send me a letter? You know, that would really help here in Hollywood. Lose my number, pal. <laughs> Maybe, in fact, the reason why the, the name of the movie was changed. Yes. And I don't know this for a fact, Curtis, but they did change it from Gemini Lounge to Inside Man is because that guy specifically, Anthony Center. I think he got pissed off and his family, and he's like, hey, I'm getting out of jail now. The last thing I need is to bring attention to what me and my boys did at the Gemini Lounge. So if you don't change this, Psycho boy. there's going to be a problem. Oh, absolutely. This guy, when he gets out, he's looking for everybody. He's looking to settle all scores. Are you one of them? Of course. Oh, Remember, God, I hit him with Curtis. that two-by-four when I was 14 years old to, to stop him from giving a beat down to a kid. He was Psycho Boy. But now, let me flip this. Well, but how are you going to be the mayor if he kills you? Don't worry about it. A okay. lot of people want to kill me, as you know. <laughs> I was sitting there with Bo Dito the other night he's sitting at a table with a guy who's eye fornicating me mad dogging me if looks could kill i'd have been bleeding out on the ground you know a lot of people <laughs> want to kill me but like, let's flip the script poor poor frank the mama luke morano to hear tulsi gabbard first with john last night and now with you 
He wants to impale himself. Do you know he went all the way to Hawaii looking for on Hawaii? No, this is not true. Yes, he went to every tiki bar. He was, I mean, flopped dead on the ground. He loves Tulsi Gabbard. He wants her to be president of the United States, and she never gave him any play. Never would be on his show. Does he love her because she's really attractive? And he wants no, he loves her politics. He loves her politics. Yeah, oh, he loves it. Not her ass, her politics. No, but he fell out of favor <laughs> with Tulsi Gabbard because she wouldn't give him any play. So now he's into Senate at a cinema in Arizona because she announced she's bisexual. <laughs> and all of a sudden, there was Frank salivating, going, gaga, goo, goo. I said, Frank, stop. You're, you're, you're like harassing them. You're, you're like stalking them. Wait and, a second. You're telling me he actually went to the harassment stage? Yes, he went all the way to Oahu. Oh, my God. Ask him if he was ever in Oahu, if he was in Maui, if he was in Kauai. And by the way, he's never going to get any attention. From somebody like Tulsi Gabbard, if he continues to talk to people about Martians yes. and UFOs exactly. and uh, and brag about his relationship with people like Bill although, Shatner and Ralph Nader. Although, remember, <laughs> he's opposed to the uh, war in Ukraine. He leans towards the Russians. Tulsi Gabbard leans towards the Russians. They have a few things in common there. Oh. But anyway, let me not digress. How could Joe Biden not do the easiest thing in the world? And just say, hey, Barack, I need you to be my emissary. Go hang out with Oprah in Maui. They love you in Hawaii. I have guardian angels in Hawaii. You say, Barack Obama, they worship him. He could be the king of Hawaii. But this brings me back. In the early 1800s, you know, Hawaii was divided between the United States and Russia. If you go to Kauai, there are three forts, Russian forts in Kauai. Could you imagine Putin say, well, Biden won't do anything. I'm going to send in three C-4 transports with supplies in solidarity with Hawaiians that used to be together with Russia. They would send their boats from Alaska. Remember, they owned Sarah Palin as she looked out of her kitchen window and saw Russia in Alaska. Yeah, yeah. They'd sail their boats to Hawaii to their forts, and then they'd go and make the rest of the way to China. They could have easily had Hawaii at some point. This would be an incredible opportunity for Putin to one-up Joe Biden, who, uh, no no comment, no comment. <laughs> no comment, yeah. I mean, Unbelievable. I know, you can't make it up. You can't make it and up. And by the way, uh, on the Super Sports Spectacular front, because obviously you were watching two losing teams last night, did you see one DeFranco in Tampa I know the story. A 14-year-old girl. Well, see, I didn't know what happened. I know that they suspended him before the game for something on his social media. Folks that don't know, he's one of the best young shortstops in Major League Baseball. Tampa Bay, second to Baltimore in the uh, AL East, having a great year. And all of a sudden, they take him from the lineup, and all they said was something on social media. you You know, I was thinking, I said, slowly I turned step by step. Remember Mel Hall, Mel Hall was having sex with underage girls. He's in the Tokyo uh, Dome Hall of Fame. He's in the yeah. Japanese Baseball Hall of Fame. I know he, he made is. Bernie Williams yeah. cry. That's yeah. why the Yankees got Thomas rid of him. You, you should be the last person. To Chad go. Curtis. That's fine. I mean, you, we you, could go right on down the line. You may as well, then you may as well add your partner on Saturdays, Anthony Weiner. Uh, I like Anthony that guy. Who? Don't get me wrong. Anthony who? <laughs> yeah. Carl Can't Malone. Leave him out. Carl Malone had sex with a 13-year-old. They loved him in Utah for years of Mormons. <laughs> And he wouldn't even acknowledge his child. He was doing a Joe Biden yes, for a while. That's, true. Biden. that's yes. not my child. Thirteen. I know. 
and he went on to superstardom. And the conservatives love calling him an 18-wheel tractor trailer. I'm a hunter. I'm a black guy you can love. The Mormons love me. He's a very good player. And what is the (laughs) day tomorrow, the death of the king, right, Elvis Presley? What was he having sex with a 14-year-old girl? Come on. Yes, and didn't uh, Jerry Lee Lewis marry his 14-year-old cousin? Great balls of fire. That's right. (laughs) And he was the cousin of Jimmy Swaggart. I ask for forgiveness of God. Oh, I have sex. Hey, what are they all, three-eyed cousin vorticators? What's wrong with these people? (laughs) There aren't enough normal women out there who are above the age. You know what we used to call that? Stay away from that. That's jailbait. Are you sure? That's totally jailbait. You're going to end up going to jail for that. How many guys did you know went to jail because they hooked up with jailbait? Not one. Oh, please. Not one that went to jail for it. Oh, only yeah. Wiener. That's the only one I know about. Oh, yeah, no, no. Come on. Let's be real. No, I, I know guys that constantly went with girls that were jail bait, but yes. none of them went to jail for Yes, it. yeah. Oh, my God. And I, I warned them. Are you crazy? Are you serious? Yes, absolutely. You know how many times I, well, the girl dressed up like she was 18. Well, yeah, well Lawrence Taylor. She was Taylor. T- 12 years old. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, about 60 seconds to go. we got to get to Tulsi Gabbard coming up in the next segment. Tomorrow night's a big night. Oh, big night. People are about to chain their themselves to fences. I'm not even kidding. Curtis, give out those details. Oh, let me tell you something. It's the night of the walkers in wheelchairs. You have to be 65-plus like me, an act of civil disobedience. We are blocking the entrance to Creedmoor where they are constructing the tent as we speak. I'm inviting everyone to come on out. I mean, we've got uh, the location. It's the entrance there. You see the ball fields, Hillside Avenue, 7 o'clock. Rain, snow, sleet, and shine. I will be arrested for the 78th time. And if everybody <laughs> would have listened to me, all my Republican friends, instead of saying, you're lying, you're making this up, back in May, you wouldn't be having press conferences today to stop the illegal alien invasion. You didn't like the messenger, but I gave the message, and thank God Sid Rosenberg and WABC gave me the 50,000 powerful WhatsApp sound to warn everyone. Hey, Borelli, you going to apologize? Hey, Joanne Arioli, you going to apologize? Of course not, because I was right, you were wrong, and now we're suffering and paying the price as a result of this invasion and you coddling up to Eric Adams. Hey, who's your Papa Chulo, illegal aliens? Me, swagger man with no plan, Eric Adams. Is sit in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. Good morning, everyone. Aloha. Just checking in from Maui. A lot of you have probably heard what has happened over the course of the last 48 hours here on our little island. The reason I'm making this video is because there's a lot of not truth being told in the media, and things are not being depicted accurately. The media is saying that there's only, at this moment, 36 people that have lost their lives. And it hurts me to say that I don't believe this is true at all. I've, I've heard first-town accounts from family on the west side, from friends on the west side, from uh, 
you know, response crews that they are tagging hundreds of bodies. There are hundreds of bodies in the water. Uh, the death toll could be well over um, 400 just at this very point that I make this video. And they are not letting coverage into Lahaina. We have friends that went to the entrance of the poly to try to bring generators and water and supplies, shovels, things. Everyone was turned around. No one is able to bring help. Why are we turning down help? Why would FEMA do that? Why would the Red Cross do that? I think we maybe know our answer. There's trees in Lahaina that are still standing and buildings are vaporized. I don't know if you know about direct energy weapons, but I would say that it's very much a possibility that this is what's happened on Maui. So I don't know who this uh, young lady is. She actually did make that video, video by the beach, Maui talking about directed energy weapons, how buildings have been blown to pieces, but the trees are fine. I've never heard anybody else allege there was some weaponry used. I don't even know if anybody would even talk about that. You know, we're still in the process of trying to find bodies, and it's still a very, very heartbreaking situation. But, but that specific Instagram video has received thousands, hundreds of thousands of views. So people are paying attention to this young lady. Maybe the psychos that, you know, that um, some of us like to watch here on television. I don't know. But the lady that really knows what's going on was on this station just yesterday with my friend John Katz-Matidis, but she's making her debut on the number one rated morning show in New York with me, Sid Rosenberg, Sid and Friends in the Morning. Right now, former Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, Tulsi, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Sid. Uh, you know, my my heart is with the people of Maui. It's uh, it, it's a really tough time. It's a very tough time, even as we're one week past this uh, wildfire going in and absolutely decimating the entire town of Lahaina. Uh, the community is still working on survival and recovery. But also concerned about you know what happens what happens tomorrow how does how does rebuilding and saving Lahaina look like? Did you see that video that I just played the audio of moments before you came on that young lady who talked about the possibility of directed energy weapons again not even sure it's worth talking about but she did make that video and I think I'm wrong I think it's millions of views at this point have you heard anything like that or is that just crazy? Talk? I don't. I don't know that I've seen that video, but I have heard others uh, saying similar things. And uh, you know, I, all I will say is that in the absence of communication from leadership, uh, people are left to uh, their own devices and trying to guess and figure out what's going on. I, I had heard that video, and I was curious about the trees, uh, so I went and looked it up myself. And yeah. it turns out in different wildfires. It's not uncommon for trees to uh, remain standing even as all other structures around them burn because of the way that their bark system is put in place and the roots and the hydration. There, there's a whole science behind this. Uh, so there, there is an explanation for that specific thing. But I think the bigger issue here that I've noticed as I've gone around 
uh, Maui County and West Maui, the community that's most directly impacted by this, is just the frustration in a, a severe lack of communication from local authorities uh, about what, what's actually going on. One thing that was said in that video that is true, which is deeply troubling to me, is that they're not allowing any media into the area, uh, into those communities. And I'm not talking about the historic Lahaina town that is currently uh, filled with investigators and those focused on recovery of remains. That that area obviously should should be focused on exactly that. But I'm talking about the communities north of that, and there are a number of them with people who uh, are experiencing a lot of challenges, very little access to communication, still in need of basic necessities like food, fuel, medicine, and water. And not only are they not seeing uh, or hearing from the local officials, they're actually not able to to get much information out because of the communication challenges. Uh, And that's the real urgent issue that really needs to be addressed. Well, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, not even a little. And uh, even politicians that I hate, Tulsi, and I see you on Truth Social. I'm sure you see me, too. So uh, we tend to say some not nice things about certain people. Uh, But my, my question is very simple. Why? Why are they not allowing media and these other folks in? What are they? Are they trying to hide something, or is it just at this point a logistical mess? I don't know the answer to that. I wish I did, and I have inquired, and, and I'm going to continue to inquire because this is twofold. It's a First Amendment issue. We have the right to free speech, and we have the right to a free press. I have unfortunately been in, in uh, many different national. Disaster, natural disaster situations in different parts of the country, and I've never seen uh, the media being uh, blocked access to the people most directly impacted by that disaster. I don't know what reason Maui County is is giving for uh, this policy, but it creates the perception that there is something to hide and that they don't want the people's voices uh, to be heard. They don't want their story to be told, and that's a really unfortunate consequence of this. Uh, what their motives are, I can't say, but it's something that really needs to change. Interesting. So before I played that video, I was considering not playing it because people are dead, people are missing, and some crazy girl is talking about directed energy weapons. But the more we talk about what's going on there, at this point you really can't, like you said earlier, discount anything. I doubt that's the case, but you really discount, you can't discount uh, anything. I want to get well, to the... Well, I- yeah. I say just on that note, I'll just mention, you know, there there are, uh, as you know very well, politicians and, and bureaucrats who, unfortunately, in these situations, sometimes are more focused on covering their ass than actually yep. doing the right thing and getting mm-hmm. information out to people. And, and if you if you had to ask me that, that would be my first guess yep. on, on what may be occurring. But again, uh, motives at this point, I, I don't care so much about so much as uh, getting action. I agree with you. So let's talk specifically about the governor, Josh Green. Uh, I have heard people say doing about all he could, and I've heard people say completely liable in this aftermath. Tulsi Gabbard, your thoughts on the governor? Uh, the liability and accountability question uh, is is going to have to be investigated once people start to get back on their feet. Right now, we're still in the midst of this crisis and dealing with people's needs here and now. Uh, you know, the, 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 if, you, if Josh Green were to call me right now and say, hey, what's the one thing that we should do? The thing that needs to be done is the state and or FEMA needs to activate all of the resources that are available to us 
within the various uh, United States military elements that are stationed out there in Hawaii and who are incredibly experienced in the mission, in the mission of, of humanitarian assistance and disaster relief. They just did this in the disaster that hit Guam not too long ago, just in the last couple of months. They've done it in different countries across Asia, like the Philippines and Thailand and other countries that, that go through these disasters. They can't deploy those resources until they get the green light from FEMA as the lead federal agency or from the state. That's, that's the thing that needs to be done right now. Well, some folks that are quick to sue when people die, unfortunately, that's the next thing we see, very litigious people. And I know the utility companies, for example, did not shut down the power, at least that's the reports, while the fires were burning, which, of course, made it significantly worse. Is all that true, too? I don't know that for sure. I've, I've heard the same thing. I haven't seen the documentation or the evidence, but these are the kinds of things that have to be looked into. I do know that this is uh, the issue of of power lines being downed uh, was a cause of some of these wildfires uh, either starting or spreading. You know, when you've got these power lines up there, they're, uh, they have been burned before by other wild, uh, other uh, brush fires, and you've got, uh, you know, hurricane-level winds at 980 to 100 miles per hour. Uh, you can see how this very quickly uh, turned perhaps from a small brush fire into a, a major problem. And not only in the area of Lahaina and West Maui, but in uh, for those who are familiar with Maui and upcountry Maui and Kula, I was there yesterday. And this this community has a completely different ecosystem from West Maui. It, it's uh, a little bit more like Northern California with pine trees. The air is cooler. They don't see very many brush fires there, uh, but in all likelihood, uh, a downed electric pole uh, sparked uh, the fires that began there that, that took many more people's homes. Former Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard joining me live this morning. Uh, Hurricane Dora just a week ago today, and that was really the beginning of this uh, absolute tragedy that has happened in Hawaii. Uh, again, the last uh, political uh, take on this was President Biden. He was, uh, I guess, walking off the beach. I don't know where he was, but he was asked about this, and his comment was... No comment, but not just no comment, but a smile and a grin. I'm not sure if a smile and a grin with a no comment when there are bodies, maybe thousand missing all over Hawaii, is what you want to see from your president. Of course, you don't. Uh, your thoughts on President Biden's response, very similar to what he did in East Palestine, Ohio, which is nothing. You know, people are hurting, Sid. People are uh the, the, the trauma that, that families and, and our communities are experiencing right now is really hard to uh, encapsulate and justify in words uh, to have this kind of devastation completely turn a, a historic, beautiful town that was once the capital of the kingdom of Hawaii into ash within hours. Uh, leaving loved ones, uh, leaving loved ones missing and, and, uh, perishing in that fire. People want to, people want to know that their leaders care about them. People want to know that they are coming to their, uh, to their relief and to their support. Uh, and that, that, that is what we need to see. That's what our community needs to see from our leaders at every level. You know, I wonder, I had this conversation yesterday, Tulsi, and I, and I got yelled at. Uh, I'm one of the folks that is not all into giving Ukraine billions and billions of dollars. That's just me. And I really feel like right now Hawaii can use it more than Zelensky can. And I could be wrong, but 
when I see the estimates of what it's going to take to rebuild that gorgeous area, which you know so well, it's in the billions and billions of dollars. Don't you think it would be better served for Biden maybe to cut that check to Ukraine in half and give it to Hawaii, last I checked, in America? Well, all I can tell you, Sid, is is uh, I, I lost count of how many times people made that comment just over the last 48 to 72 hours uh, in Maui. Uh, people questioning things that they're seeing in the news about a new round of funding and yet uh, being left being left in a situation where their only access to food and water is coming from neighbors in their community or people on the next island over. The island of Molokai is right next to Maui. It's a short boat ride away. It's a tiny little island. It has one little general store on it. Residents of that small little island are emptying their their shelves. They're filling gas cans that cost $8 a gallon for fuel from their one or two gas stations that exist on the island, putting all these supplies on boats and taking them to their neighbors on, in West Maui. Uh, this help and support is coming from their neighbors out of their own pocket because of the failure of, of uh, different levels of government to be there and provide for them in this time of need. So, so when, when we look at some of these decisions, you really got to question the, the priorities. I learned, Tulsi, that a lot of the folks that live in Lahaina are people who work uh, in the uh, entertainment hospitality business. And, uh, again, I don't know that area. Believe it or not, I've got a timeshare in Kona. So we go to the Big Island every year, and uh, we do love it there. And I spend time in Honolulu at the Pro Bowls, but I don't know that area of Maui. But I was told that not far from the devastation, they still have beautiful hotels and um, and getaways. And I saw one lady say, hey, you know what? I've been working the last 20 years inside this place. Maybe it's time that they, you know, don't invite other folks in and allow us to live in these resorts just until we get our feet back on the ground. What are your thoughts about that? Well, it's, I, I think there's, a, there, there's two things to consider here is, is first of all, uh, yes, as a community, we've got to come together to make sure that those who've been displaced have a roof over their heads uh, and have what they need to, to try to transition into whatever is next uh, for them uh, and their families. That's really, really important. And I know there are, some, there are a lot of people who are working in that, in that direction, uh, and maybe the answer is, is the hotels, but uh, it, it's not an either-or question because right alongside the need of our residents to have a place to live, uh, the economy on Maui, whether we like it or not, it is it is a tourism-based economy. And so if there are no tourists, then not only are the service and hospitality industry workers um, put in a very tough situation uh, economically, but I, I spoke to a gentleman yesterday. His wife does hair and makeup for weddings and uh, she is seeing her clients that she's had booked over the next six months canceling on her and asking for full refunds. That's putting her and their family in a tough economic situation. So we cannot afford to shut down the economy of Maui. Uh, there are a number of uh, hotels and communities that are not far from this area of disaster but who are who are unaffected by it. Uh, and I know that the small business owners, the restaurants, all of the folks that depend on this this uh, service and tourism-based economy, they need that lifeline to be able to keep people employed and uh, make sure that 
that those folks don't end up in a similarly disastrous situation. On the way out, uh, this is so heartbreaking, it really is. And I've decided to spend more time talking about this than another Trump indictment or migrants or these other situations that we tend to talk about a lot, Tulsa. Uh, this, uh, to me, is something we should all be focused on and helping out our brethren, our American folks in Hawaii. But I have to kind of end where we started, and that is while most of us are heartbroken and feel horrible, a lot of us are asking why. Why did the warning sirens never sound? Why did this not happen? And, and I have friends who are not crazies who have said clearly, keeping the media out, the things we've discussed, you and I, Tulsi, clearly for some reason they wanted Maui to burn. Now you're going to go, wait a second, it's too soon. They're still looking for bodies. We shouldn't be discussing stuff like that. But that's not the way it works in the real world. There are people out there right now that are upset but also angry. They feel like there's something bigger going on here. And we'll end it where we started. Are those people crazy or or is this a wait-and-see situation and maybe some of them may be right? I, I think it's most important right now for us to focus on uh, providing whether it's uh, actual material support or just sending prayers and well wishes to people who are still looking for their loved ones, people who are still trying to uh, rebuild some semblance of normalcy uh, in their lives. These questions are important. They are critical. Accountability is essential. Uh, but right now, I think the most productive thing to do is to be able to support the emergency relief effort on the ground and uh, demand those answers once we get to that phase. You know, my heart goes out to you, Tulsi, and uh, all the folks in Hawaii. You're, uh, you know, you're awesome. <laughs> and, uh, I appreciate uh, it. Thank, uh, thanks for thanks for putting uh, so much time and thought and care into this, Sid. It's it's important for for the country and the world to know what's happening there in Hawaii, to know uh, what their fellow Americans are going through, and and I just ask that when the headlines move on to the next thing. Uh, please don't forget the people of Maui because this rebuild, as you said, it's going to be massive. It's going to cost a lot of money, uh, and this community is going to need support for a long time to come. So thank you so much. God bless you, and God bless the folks in Hawaii. Let's talk again very soon, okay? Thank you, Sid. All right, Tulsi, take care. You're welcome. There she is, Tulsi Gabbard. Man, that is a very impressive lady. And she's right. You know, we had to discuss those things because it's on people's minds. But don't confuse the issue. My friend John Siegel's like, too soon. You shouldn't talk about that girl on the weapons. Hey, John, sorry. But a lot of Americans are asking those questions. That doesn't mean you're not heartbroken. That doesn't mean you're not sad. I know I am. But but every story has layers. And it's up to you to decide when it's time to discuss that second or third layer. I decided on this show this morning to do both. Talk about the tragedy and how how our hearts go out to these people. But you just can't ignore, ignore all the issues in and around this, which include, again, no sirens, no media. Scary if you ask me. But uh, don't confuse the issue. Our hearts go out to these people, and we wish the fine folks of Hawaii nothing but the very best. We'll come back with Bo Deedle and a lot more. This is a Tuesday edition of Sid and Friends in the Morning.
Friends in the Morning, 77 WABC. I've got something to say that might cause you pain. If I catch you talking to that boy again, I'm gonna let you down and leave you flat. Because I told you before, oh, you can't do that. Well, it's the second time I caught you talking to him. Do I have to tell you one more time? I think it's a sin. I think I'll let you down. friend John Siegel's like, not everything's a conspiracy theory. Hey, John, I love you to pieces. I didn't make that video some girl did, and given the opportunity to just completely shoot it down, Tulsi Gabbard did not do that. She didn't. In fact, what she said was, until we get a real explanation of what happened, anything is possible. Could be power lines that just went down. Could be a, a variety of things. But, you know, that's it's not the way this, this, this uh, game works game it's not a game i mean these are uh, the people died in this actual tragedy so it's not a game i talk about game i'm talking about the media business you know i, I don't believe that there's any conspiracy here in fact i made that very clear at the very top i said i'm not a conspiracy theorist but i wouldn't be doing my job if i didn't bring up all these possibilities and the things that people are talking about and again you guys heard the interview she shot none of it down none of it Clearly, she's very frustrated and believes there is something going on here above and beyond what they're reporting. I mean, you heard the interview. Did you not get that sense from Tulsi Gabbard-Lewis that she doesn't believe that all this is on the up and up? I got that sense. She made a great point about until we get authoritative. Yes, you can't rule out anything. Where is everybody? Where is everybody? The governor's done a lousy job. The president's done a terrible job. FEMA's done a terrible job. No media is allowed. So don't get mad at me, John. Don't tell me not everything needs a conspiracy theory. Have you followed the history in this country? I mean, please. I love you to pieces, but please. If she would have said right then and there, Tulsi, hey, Sid, look, I live in Hawaii. I've got friends and family that are gone. I don't want to. She didn't do that. She's like, hey. It's not the first time I've heard this. And then she made an explanation about the bark of the tree and all that. Now, again, let me go on record and say I don't think, in fact, I think it's kind of silly, that that a weapon was involved. But my job is to bring up every possibility, and she did not deny any of it. Anyway, we'll take a short break. When we get back, he's here every Tuesday. He's the man, Bo Deedle. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Oh, I like this song. Oh, good one here. The police. Or not. <laughs> Shut up. Shut it. The Rolling Stones for you. So last Friday, you know, I left the show and ran to the Kent Movie Theater in Brooklyn to see Inside Man. Last I checked, it's number two. You believe it's number two? It takes... Weeks and months for movies to climb that quickly. That stupid movie with Sebastian Maniscalco and, and Bob De Niro is the only movie right now on Amazon that people are renting and or buying more than Inside Man. Bo Deedle is great in it. And we had a great uh, time at the theater on Friday. Him and his gorgeous significant other Margot and Vinnie Boy had a great lunch at Michael's. 
Bo spent the better part of two decades distinguishing himself as one of the greatest cops in the history of New York. He's a tremendous actor and a dear friend. And here he is for his Tuesday morning spot, the great Bo Deedle. Good morning, Bo. How are you, buddy? Hey, Sid. You know, today um, I'm here a little bit uh, on an issue that is the most important issue facing New York City, I think, in my lifetime. And I've been doing my homework on it. You know, I had dinner with the mayor last week, and he kept repeating about that he's being blocked by this city council uh, gang of fools and idiots. Now, just listen to what I'm going to say, because I think this is very important, because I'm calling out to all the real estate people. I mean, when you have REITs that went from $160 a share down to $16 a share, these are hundreds of billions of dollars being lost on all these uh, 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 real estate companies. And they're the ones that I'm going to call upon to join me with this. You know what? If we, if there was a dictator in a third world country and all of a sudden he wanted to make believe he had democracy there and they held elections and then all of a sudden in the election, only 1.3% of the people voted. That's exactly happened during the city council primaries. 71,000 registered voters voted out of 4,492. 2.1% of the registered Democrats voted. This is so important what I'm saying. As far as the Republicans, 5,000 Republicans voted, and that was it. What happens is this. All of a sudden, you got the city council progressives. All they care about is these are really these, like, Kool-Aid drinking commies. They think they know all about everything. They love bike lanes. They don't want more cops, boat shops, unlicensed motorcycles like the one that hit my son. All of a sudden, they hate the cops. All they have is a city council. And even the Siena College poll showed 90%, 90% of city residents said crime is a serious problem. Even Governor Patterson mentioned everyone's moving out. Florida, go. This is where the revenue was. This is where all the revenue is, right? This New York Times, they just sit on their hands. They open their mouths whenever there's something wrong with the cops, but they don't say a word about it. All of a sudden, the Midtown marketing of the uh, office space in Midtown is falling faster than Conchita Rivera. <laughs> all of a sudden, you got you got yeah, the city council budget. They don't have a clue about budget or anything. All of a sudden, Mayor Adams even charged that the city council doesn't understand Basic accounting of expenses and revenues, they don't care. They want to give housing vouchers, and all they want to do is just keep passing it on, passing it on. And the problem here is we can do something. And I'm calling on your show today, and I'm bringing it together. I am not leaving. I am fighting for New York City. I've shed my blood in this city. My family's here, and I have my business here, and I'm fighting. In the coming weeks, I'm going to be announcing a campaign to change the city charter, to get rid of the socialist city council. And I tell you right now, I don't care if you're a Democrat, Republican, or a member of the Bull Moose Party. I don't care who you are. (laughs) We need your help to restore the city and represent the government. We will try to get this on the November ballot for everyone to vote to get rid of these fools in this city council. Well, you have a psycho city council comedy fool here. I'm going to bring together all the leaders, and I'm telling you right now, why don't we do this? If the mayor's telling me I can't do nothing because of the city council, let's get rid of the city council. Well, two things. First, first of all, I love this. There's a great job out of you, Bo Deedle. I mean that sincerely. Great job, and I am certainly going to be with you. Uh, on this group that you're putting together, but uh, when you do this, are you saying basically 
that you are now uh, saying that Mayor Adams is not accountable for all this and it all lies on the city council? Absolutely. I was told every time he tries to make, even with the police, he wants to get funding for the police. Now we want to give some housing uh, vouchers. Uh, we want to get rid of, uh, you know, these, these bikes, these unregistered. Oh, that's their freedoms. And this is what the mayor's dealing with. This clown group of city council people. They're a bunch of morons. They can't count. Can it be, can, can, but, 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 but can it be both? Can it be that the city council are all the things you've described them as? And you're right. They're very accurate. But at the same time, the mayor is also derelict of his duties can it be both well here's it gonna be Sid, you hit the nail on the head if my mayor doesn't support if he tells me he's being cock blocked by the city council let's get rid of that gang of fools and then we could put that other guy to control it. what's that brad Duke brad guy? lander brad lander yeah, yeah. yeah. 35 billion dollars of poor investments you fool i should just <laughs> put him on the referendum and get rid of that moron but right now sid we will be destroyed. New York City will be destroyed. We're talking about with this. You, know, you can also put a, put a thing in there, but we want to close down New York City as a sanctuary city. We could do that, and the mayor could do that. We've had enough of this. We've got to Has stop Has the this. mayor told you in confidence, because he does trust you and he does like you, now, these days, a lot more than me. Has the mayor told you in confidence that he would like to see New York no longer be a sanctuary city? Has he told you that? No. Okay. But yeah. I want to push it on him. Yeah. I want yeah. him to make the decision. I said to him, you are the mayor. You are the man. And right now, if he gets jumps on board, and if he's telling me city council is is knocking him out of all his things that he wants to do, well, let's see it, Mr. Mayor. Let's see if you got a ball bag, and let's start taking <laughs> these creeps out of there, right? And I'm telling you right now, this if we don't get on this thing, look at this voter turnout, 1.3% on these the votes. You know why? People don't want to vote because it's the same fools on the, on the ballot. Nobody wants to vote. So we just put, and you said it on your show, this is more important than the presidential election in it New is. York City. Yes. Because they, they're driving, first of all, everyone else. No one's going to pay the taxes. And then what's going to happen? They're talking about a $40, $45 billion deficit by 2025 in this New York State, including New York City. This will be a destruction, and I'm not leaving. I'm going to fight, and I want everyone to join me. All my friends in the real estate business, you are the ones that are being most affected. Your buildings are empty. Your stock is going down. Your, your fortunes that you raised are all going out the window unless we stop this insanity. And the only way you can stop this insanity is cut the head off the demon. Cut the heads off not physically. Cut the heads off the city council and get rid of them. Not physically because they're going to be saying, oh boy, wants to cut chop the heads off. Now I'd like to punch the heads not the <laughs> but the point, the point is now and, and then and So then, you're, and calling, then we, you're calling on our friend Suzanne Miller. You're calling on our friend Corey Zelnick. No, These are the people about, you want. Yeah. I'm talking about I'm talking about SL Green. I'm talking about Vernado. I'm talking about all the major real estate people in New York. Gotcha. Have to band together because you're being destroyed, and it will be no more. All that money you have in your in your bank account from all your great stocks is going to be worthless, and you're not going to leave nothing to your children, and your grandchildren, because you ain't going to have nothing. We have got to stop this bleeding. What what when that woman got bit by that shark over there in Rockaway? What did they do? They put a tourniquet on her leg so she didn't die. We got to put a tourniquet 
around the city council and get rid of them. And look it, we're talking about these issues. The city council could vote to get rid of these motorcycles, motorbikes, unlicensed drivers. Eight people were dead in seven days. It's just going to continue, continue, continue. My own son got run over by these son of a guns. And then we have, then we have this fool President Biden sitting at the beach with all his clothes on, looking like an old, shriveled up old man there, <laughs> gazing at the sea. Now he's riding a bike. Oh, my God. And when he asked about those poor people, those lovely people in Hawaii, I've been there so many times. I love Hawaii. Those families were devastated. And this piece of garbage says, I have no comment. How about I punch you in your face, <laughs> Mr. President? Not only did he not only did he say he had no comment, Bob, but when he said I have no comment, he smiled and grinned as they continued to take dead bodies out of the water in Maui. You know why? You know why, Sid? Because if he can't read a teleprompter or a cue card, he doesn't know what to say. You're right. This man is brain dead. Yeah. And now all we care about is all we care about is another indictment for Donald Trump. Here we go. Fulton County with this ridiculous uh, another count on, on, uh, on Donald Trump. And again, all my people who don't like Donald Trump, let me tell you something. This is our only savior to save this country. But we also have to save this city. I want everyone to join on board and get rid of this New York City Council of Communist, Progressive, Liberal. And let's throw them out. There you go. Once again, Bo Deedle showing why he is one of the top guests, maybe the favorite guest of all my listeners. Tuesday mornings, Thursday mornings, they love Bo Deedle because you can say what you want about Bo. You can never question his love for New York City. You can never question his love for this country. And he comes on full of piss and vinegar every time. Bo Deedle, another spectacular appearance. And that wraps up two very good hours. Curtis Sliwa, Tulsi Gabbard, and Curtis Sliwa. Still to come, Alan Dershowitz, Governor David Patterson, and more. Thank you, Bo. Hour number three coming up right at the Gnome with the news. WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. The Georgia grand jury, which has been investigating former President Donald Trump's alleged efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Trump is now charged with racketeering, violating oath of office and other charges in a bid to overturn the 2020 election. Trump has repeatedly denied any wrongdoing and is accusing the D.A. of pursuing the case out of political animus. Given the chance to not crawl into bed with Donald Trump. Would you do it all over again? Uh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, for, first of all, I don't. I don't know that I ever think that way. You know, like uh, you could go back. You've got to deal with what what you did or they did, and, uh, and you got to deal with the situation you're in. Uh, but even that, even though you try to act that way, you always go back and say, "Would I? Should I?" Yeah, I think I am honored to be involved in this because I feel like I'm helping my country, and I feel like we are in a terrible crisis, much greater than the vast majority of people realize. I don't think we're fighting off some form of fascism or communism. I think we're living it. 
In Maui, you can add a sense of abandonment to the cascade of emotions sweeping over devastated communities. As survivors and residents learn more about warning sirens that never sounded, evacuations that never came, hydrants that nearly ran dry, and what may have been underestimations of the risk the island faced that day. Uh, apocalyptic is, is probably one of the best words to describe uh, the, the absolute devastation that has occurred here. Uh, you know, the, the community here on Maui is very tight-knit. It is inspiring to see their resilience, even in the face of this uh, unprecedented disaster. But really how they're, they're stepping up, uh, even those who have lost everything just trying to help each other uh, and help their neighbors. There is Sid Rosenberg. You know Sid Rosenberg. He wants me to tell everyone that this is his big screen debut. It's called Inside Man. It's an indie thriller. Whatever the hell that means. His character, what's his character? His character is a Brooklyn bartender frequented by Gambinos. Yeah, well, like naturally. What else? He'd play maybe a harpist? He was on his way home from Candletop. Been two weeks gone and he thought he'd stop at Webb's and have him a drink before he went home to her. And he wore those Sid hello. And he said, hi, what's doing? Whoa, Sid, sit down. I've got some bad news. It's gonna hurt. Said, I'm your best friend and you know that's right But your young bride ain't home tonight Since she's been gone she's been seeing that Amos boy Seth Well he got mad and he saw red And Andy said boy don't you lose your head Cause to tell you the truth I've been with her myself That's the night that the lights went out in Georgia Oh the great Mickey Lawrence the night the lights went out in Georgia. Brilliant pick here by the genius that is Louis Rufino. As we start hour three, been a great two hours. Curtis Sliwa and Bo Deedle are always great, but I did an interview with Tulsi Gabbard at about 10 after 7 this morning. That is the best Tulsi Gabbard interview you're ever going to hear. Ever. Ever. And uh, we played some of Tulsi's interview with John and Rita from last night in the open. That was uh, well done, too. And a whole bunch of stories there. Trump's indictment. Uh, you heard from Rudy Giuliani. He was on this show yesterday. So, of course, he's uh, one of 19 people that have been indicted. 19. Three big names. President Donald Trump. That's right, Fannie Willis, you douche. President Donald Trump. Mark Meadows, Trump's former chief of staff, and Rudy. Then 16 people that nobody cares about. <laughs> But uh, that's the big story. The night the lights went out in Georgia. Now, four indictments. We're going to talk to Alan Dershowitz coming up at 840. So my friend Matt Goldstein just sent me a text. He said, you know that, that Dershowitz is smart, but I just don't get it. He continues to say, I voted twice for Biden. You know, he says, I'll vote for Biden again. I don't get it. You know, Dershowitz wrote this book, Get Trump, and he's on this station and a million stations every day sympathizing with Trump. He's going to say, well, I'm, I'm sympathizing with the Constitution. I'm nonsense. He's sympathizing with Trump. And you got a guy in Joe Biden. I mean, how can you possibly vote for this creep? Stealing millions and millions and millions of dollars. 13 dead soldiers in Afghanistan because he's inept. Checking his watch at their funeral. 
When asked about the people in Hawaii yesterday, he smiled and grinned and said, no comment. I'm sorry, Alan. I can't wait to talk to you at 840, but for a smart man, a brilliant man, how stupid could you be to, to, to defend this guy or vote for this guy? This guy is the ultimate creep. You got Donald Trump for indictments. The guy that should be put in prison today is Joe Biden, not Donald Trump. One after another. These morons, whether it's Jack Smith or this genius yesterday, Fannie Willis, or that fat, stupid bastard, the DA here in Manhattan, Alvin Bragg. I mean, this is not exactly a Mensa meeting, folks. You're not going to see these three knocking down the doors at a Mensa meeting. Here is the Fulton County DA, Fannie Willis, announcing the indictment yesterday. 19 people, including my friend President Trump. Cut number one. Today, based on information developed by that investigation, moron. a Fulton County grand jury returned a true bill of indictment, charging 19 individuals with violations of Georgia law arising from a criminal conspiracy to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election in this state. The indictment includes 41 felony counts and is 97 pages long. 41 counts, 13 counts apiece for Trump and uh, Giuliani. Rudy, uh, that's, this is his first indictment, of course, number four for Trump. She goes on to talk about this racketeering charge, and again, I'm not Dershowitz or Takapina or Danielle Rosenberg or Arthur Idala. I have no idea how racketeering becomes a charge. Dersh will explain coming up at 840, but here is the Fulton County DA, Fannie Willis, talking about the specific charge of racketeering. Cut number three. Every individual charged in the indictment is charged with one count of violating Georgia's Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act through participation (laughs) in a criminal enterprise in Fulton County, Georgia, and elsewhere to accomplish the illegal goal of allowing Donald J. Trump to seize the presidential term of office beginning on January 20th, 21. Specifically, the participants in association took various actions in Georgia and elsewhere to block the counting of the votes of the presidential electors who were certified as the winners of Georgia's 2020 general election. All right, thank you. Let's go to Noam Layden. He can explain to me and all the listeners how racketeering, how that charge ended up being one of them. Noam Layden, take it away. I will point out I'm not a lawyer here, so I will explain it as best as somebody just explained it to me. So Georgia has this racketeering law that has been used to prosecute mob bosses in the past when they have these sort of uh, complex criminal enterprises that they've created. And so what they're alleging in this case, prosecutors allege that the Trump campaign is its own criminal enterprise. <laughs> Stop it. And that's why they're going after them with these racketeering charges. Right, now that makes sense. I mean, it does make sense if you analogize it to the mob and the criminal family, but my God, is this a reach, such a reach. And i got to tell you, folks, 
You're going to hear all day unprecedented fourth indictment. Since I've come on the air two hours ago, two hours and 19 minutes ago at 6 o'clock, Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, New York One, Trump and 18 others indicted. And i got to tell you, I don't care. I mean, I felt badly for my friend, Donald Trump. The poor guy is trying to win an election. They're going to have this poor bastard in court every day. Every day. You know, and of course, I feel bad for the American people who continue to get the wool pulled over their eyes. But when I found out late last night this happened, because you knew it was coming anyway, it was ho-hum. I was at the Mets game having a really good time with my really good buddy, Anthony Corona. I love that guy. And Governor David Patterson. I love him, too. And a guy that I met for the first time who's a super guy. It was actually his tickets, Keith Kantrowitz who turns out is uh, very, very popular here in New York, from Saratoga to Manhattan. Everybody knows Keith. And uh, the four of us had a great time last night. Me, Caron, Patterson, and Kantrowitz dined at Pat Lafrida's Chop House in Shea Stadium, City Field, whatever you call it, actually dined right next to Jay Horowitz, who, if you know anything about Mets baseball the last four decades, he's been the face a PR for the Mets. To me, he's Mr. Met Jay Horowitz, who enjoyed his birthday dinner at City Field last night. It was a great time. Great time. Mo uh, went with us as well, and I came home, heard about this, and went right to bed. I mean, it just, it does nothing for me. If you can't tell at this point what this is all about, then there's nothing to talk about. Every one of these indictments, you know, oh, this could be a really dangerous one. That second one, you know, the, the documents case, this could go really, really badly. It's all nonsense, all of it. I think Dershowitz uh, talked about this latest Trump indictment yesterday before he joins me coming up at 840 with Katz Matidis. Here's uh, Alan Dershowitz, cut number eight on Katz show last night. What Trump is essentially being charged with is contesting an election. I contested the election of 2000. I was one of the lawyers for the Palm Beach voters who contested the butterfly ballot. And the way you contest an election is you put up a slate of alternate electors, and then either Congress or the courts decide which slate to count. That's the appropriate way to do it. They are not fake electors. They're alternate electors. They're not fake electors. Of course they're not. They're fake electors in the minds only of people who want to use that kind of word to, to, uh, you know, color the situation. But, Uh, That's the way you challenge elections. And, you know, if you can prove specific perjury or specific forgery, okay, that's one thing. But what they seem to be charging here is just a replica of what's charged in the District of Columbia. So what's amazing is Donald Trump gets indicted for this when Stacey Abrams, fat Stacey Abrams, did the same thing, right? She challenged her election results in the state of Georgia, ironically, Nothing happened to Stacey Abrams. Oh, and how about our friend Hillary Clinton? Hillary Clinton challenged the 2016 election results every step of the way. And, oh, nothing happened to Hillary Clinton. Nothing happened to that wench, Hillary Clinton, even before the election, when Jim Comey on television told us why for about 30 minutes Hillary Clinton was basically guilty of espionage and then decided we're not going to do anything about it. But, oh, there was Hillary Clinton last night on MSNBC. That's so loser. Couldn't beat Obama. Couldn't beat Trump. Can't beat anybody unless her husband appoints her 
There she is with Rachel Maddow on MSNBC last night, so gleeful over this latest Trump indictment. And you wonder why people can't stand Hillary. I like Bill. I actually do like Bill Clinton. I'll, I'll admit it. I'm a Republican. I'd never vote for a Democrat, but I did like Bill Clinton. His wife? Absolute swine. This is Hillary Clinton, cut number 18. Madam Secretary, fancy meeting you. Oh, I can't believe Madam Secretary, shut up, Rachel. This is not the circumstances in which I expected to be talking to you. Nor me, Rachel. It's always good to talk to you, but (laughs) honestly, um, I didn't think that it would be under these circumstances. Yet another. Why are so many nurses across the. This is something, um, this is becoming like a skill set. Like in the news business, you say, like, oh, I've covered Olympics or Enough of this. So then she goes on to say that, uh, what this, uh, these two idiots don't understand, these two ladies, is every time they indict Trump, his numbers go up. The chance of Democrats staying in power lessen. Donor money goes up. Votes go up. And yet the two of these idiots are sitting there giggling. Well, I was going to say, like, they first uh, found their first boyfriend, but, of course, that wouldn't be the case with Rachel Maddow. Here's uh, Hillary Clinton, cut number 19. I don't know that anybody should be satisfied. This This is... Uh, a terrible moment for our country to yeah, have uh, a former president accused of these uh, terribly uh, important crimes. But stop it right the there. There's nothing a- important crime. You know, what Bernie would have done when he was alive, he, he would have cut it right at the point where she said, this is a terrible day when you have a former president being charged. And he would say, you come on the air and go, look, even Hillary Clinton has finally come around. Bernie would always do stuff like that. And I'd be sitting there going, she really said that? And then Justin would be like, you got to hear the rest of the cut. But, <laughs> but the beginning there, it almost sounded like she came to her senses. But, of course, she took the opportunity once again because she's jealous and butt sore because Trump beat her to go after Donald Trump. Sorry, Hillary. He's going to win again. You keep doing what you guys are doing. You keep indicting them. You are making this guy into a bigger and bigger rock star every day. I have never in my lifetime ever felt more strongly about a candidate and loved a candidate more than Trump. And you know what? It's less about Trump and more about you. I'll be right back. I've been with her myself. That's the night that the lights went out in Georgia. That's the night that they haunted the innocent man. Oh, well, don't trust your soul in old backwoods southern lawyer. Cause the judge in the town's got bloodstains on his hands. Well, Andy got scared and left the bar. Walking on home cause he didn't live far See Andy didn't have many friends and he just lost him one Brother thought his wife must have left town So he went home and finally found The only thing Papa had left him and that was a gun And he went off to Andy's house Slipping through the backwoods quiet as a mouse Came upon some tracks too small for Andy to make screen at the back porch door and he saw Andy lying on the floor in a puddle of blood and he started to shake with a 
the Georgia Patrol wasn't making their rounds, so we fired a shot just to flag them down. And a big belly chair grabbed his gun and said, why'd you do it? This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Uh, we got a great trio about to come your way. Alan Dershowitz, Bill O'Reilly making a special appearance this morning. Of course, he's on 840 every Thursday, but Bill's going to stop by Dersh, Bill O'Reilly, and Governor David Patterson. That is a big-time threesome. That's like the threesome that went to the Met game last night. Sid Rosenberg, Anthony Carone, and David Patterson. But I did want to make uh, this point. It has nothing to do with Trump's indictment. Nothing to do with Maui. Once again, Tulsi Gabbard, amazing this morning. Nothing going on with this city, with uh, which both Curtis Sliwa and Bo Deedle did a great job with. I got this text yesterday, Lou and uh, Justin, and it nearly drove me to tears. Although lately, i got to say, I, I've always been that guy. In fact, years ago, I described myself as the John Boehner of radio. Because I cry at just about everything, but it's getting really bad now. Like, I just, I get so emotional over even the, the smallest things. So, for example, yesterday, I got a text from my friend Brian Mullen. And uh, Brian Mullen, once again, I told you about this, his father, Flip, a legend in, um, in Rockaway Beach. Brian was Gabriel's basketball coach. And because he's a good guy, I'm a psycho, and, you know, there's no way in a million years my son diagnosed with dyspraxia is going to be on his very first ever basketball team. There's no way I'm not going to beat every game, but not just go to the game. Being I've got a history in sports and know the game well, i got a coach. But Brian Mullen is the coach. So he allowed me, because he's such a good guy and I can't help myself, to basically be the assistant coach. I walked up and down the bench, arms folded, continued to remind Mullen who's in foul trouble, who's not, certain defenses. And I was worried I was becoming a pain in the ass. And if I was, I wouldn't know because this guy, Brian Mullen, is such a great guy, he never said a word. And when the season ended last Friday night, we lost our playoff game. I have to tell you this. The kids walked over and said, thanks, coach. And I almost started to cry. I'm telling you, I almost started to cry. 
You're like in kicking and screaming. Yes. <laughs> so then I get a text yesterday from Brian, coaches appreciation party. There's a party coming up Wednesday night, August the 30th, all the coaches, and they invited me. And I was, it drove me to tears. I said, Gaby, I'm going to the coaches' dinner. <laughs> and he said to me, you should, Dad. You did a really good job. That's nice. And I started to cry. Well, now you're stuck. Now you got to coach a team next year and the year well, after Well, I don't know about that. I want to. And, yeah. Actually, I want to. Not stuck. It was it was a great, and I mean great I'm sure experience. Sure it was. The whole community shows up, you know, Justin, whether their kid is playing or not. Mike Sullivan would come, Jackie Hyme. They would show up and just root on other people's kids. And it's a great you, atmosphere. Oh, it is. The, the Summer Basketball League at St. Francis is one of the reasons why that area is so tight-knit and so great. There's a million reasons why. Like I always say, my neighbor Billy Felton, he's a fireman. Lenny Siazzo across the street, he's a plumber. You know, Louis Gampero across the street, he, uh, you know, he, he'll fight inside. I, I got somebody in every block that comes and helps anytime something goes wrong. That's called a community, and that's why I love it there. All right, we're going to talk once again to Alan Dershowitz, Bill O'Reilly, and Governor David Patterson. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Seventy-seven WABC. I'm pissed. I'm pissed at these over and over and over again. If they're indictments tonight, it'll be the fourth indictment of Donald Trump. This is disgraceful. Our country is over 200 years old. We have never once indicted a former president or a candidate and a leading candidate for president. And this is Joe Biden and this is the Democrats weaponizing the justice system because they're afraid of the voters. This is disgraceful. It is wrong and it is an abuse of power by angry Democrats who have decided the rule of law doesn't matter to them anymore. And my time was running wild in the dead end streets And every time I thought I got it made It seemed the taste was not so sweet So I turned myself to face me But I've never caught a glimpse How the others must see the faker I'm much too fast to take that test Ch-ch-ch-change Turn and face the strain change Don't wanna be a richer man Great David Bowie changes That was Ted Cruz, of course, and he's right This has become a disgrace all these legal matters. I have all these great attorneys that stop by the show all the time. My dear friend of 46 years, getting back to our days together at Poly Prep, Joseph Tacopino, another Poly Prep buddy. I've been also for 45 years, Arthur Idala. But Alan Dershowitz, he my guy. And uh, even though Artie is from Bay Ridge in Brooklyn and Tacopino Avenue X in Brooklyn and Bedford Avenue, Artie is my real Brooklyn guy, although all four of us are from Brooklyn. So, uh, Alan, I should say. So here he is, the great constitutional attorney, 
Alan Dershowitz. And, Alan, before we get into the whole Trump stop and this latest indictment, so um, I've been taking up a little acting on the side. And I'm in two really, really popular shows now on Amazon Prime. One is a mob drama, a drama, I should say, centered in Gravesend, Brooklyn. And the other is a real movie that actually hit the theaters on Friday. I went to the theaters to see it. It's called Inside Man, and it's about the famous Gemini Lounge in Canarsie in Brooklyn, dating back about 40 years ago. Did you know about that barn, the Gambino crime family, and all the stuff that happened there? When we were kids, we used to follow the uh, organized crime stories. When somebody was shot, um, we would go to the Greenwood Cemetery because they were always buried there. And we would watch as the FBI photographed the family, the grieving families, coming into the Greenwood Cemetery. We lived in Borough Park, which was just like a 20, 25-minute walk from the Greenwood Cemetery. We never went to Canarsie. That was too dangerous. <laughs> that's funny. It was too dangerous. And that's where Roy DeMeo and that crew hung out on Flatlands Avenue in uh, in Canarsie. Let's get to the Trump stuff. Again, if you haven't gotten Alan's book, go get it. Get Trump. Although I have to start with this. Somebody sent me a text. They said, I don't get it. Alan comes on all the time. He's brilliant. And he's constantly making arguments for Donald Trump. Yet he says, without hesitation, I voted for Biden last time. I'm leaning towards voting for Biden again. And wait a second. You got dead service people in Afghanistan. You've got all these economic issues. Now you got a president that actually grinned and smiled and said no comment when asked about the death and devastation in Hawaii. How can Alan Dershowitz, a brilliant guy and a good man, continue to say I'm leaning towards Joe Biden? And i got to say, Alan, as much as I love you, I kind of agree. How can you possibly say that? A lot of half the people I know say, why am I not voting for Trump? The other half is saying, why am I defending Trump? Uh, Nobody likes me anymore because I'm (laughs) kind of in the middle and defending the Constitution. I vote Democrat because I support gay rights, a woman's right to choose, climate control, gun control, uh, separation of church and state, and reasonable appointments to the Supreme Court. The Democrats are better on all those issues. If the Republicans became the conservative party of England, where they support all those issues, they're right on all those issues, but they're tougher on foreign policy and on the economics, I could be a Republican. If I were in England, I'd be a member of the conservative party, but I can't vote for a party that doesn't believe that gays have the right to marry or that <clears throat> transgender people reasonably as adults. Okay, well, let me stop for a second. They, they, they may not believe that. They may not believe that. But as you know, it's up to the states. They can still get married. Aren't you all worried about, oh, I don't know, inflation, interest rates, World War Three? Since 1960, I voted for John Kennedy. I've never voted for a president who I completely supported or liked. It's always a question of balancing. And I grew up a Democrat, like so many people from Brooklyn. Like I did. You know, when I was growing up, everybody was a Democrat. There were some communists, socialists, libertarians, but there were no Republicans. My my uncle Meish was a Republican. He was like an oddity. Nobody understood. How could you be a Republican? Republicans were like, you know, from the moon. <laughs> so um, I, I grew up a Democrat, and I liked the Democrat policies better than I like the Republican policies. I wish the Democrats, I wish the Republicans were not so beholden to evangelicals on these domestic issues. On the other hand, on Israel, I love the evangelicals. They're more supportive of Israel than most of my Jewish friends. So it's complicated. And I could have voted for Romney. I wish I had. 
That's one vote I wish I could take back. Romney over um, uh, Obama. And, um, you know, I can imagine myself voting for uh, Republican. I had breakfast the other day with um, Governor Youngkin of, of Virginia. He was absolutely terrific. Yeah, I like yeah. him He's a good very guy. much. Yep. Uh, but, you know, we'll wait and see. Everybody has the right to vote. Well, well by the way, if you defend people who I don't agree with. When I was a kid in college, I defended communists. I hate it. Hate yeah. it communists. I understand. I understand. I defended their right to speech. I defended Nazis marching through a Holocaust survival town, Skokie, Illinois. I defended, I, I defended O.J. Simpson and Jeffrey Epstein. I don't support the people I defend. I defend them because their constitutional rights may have been violated. Well, I get it, but there are two things at play here. One, uh, you are very pro-Israel. You and I met for the first time at a at an anti-New York Times rally because right. they've been so anti-Semitic all these years. And it's not just Republicans. It's specifically Donald Trump. There has never been a president, never, who was done. Okay, so when you combine that with the fact that what Biden, this, this country and the world's a mess, will you at least agree, will you at least agree it's becoming increasingly more difficult every day to stand by Joe Biden. I agree with that. I agree that it's difficult to stand by the Democratic Party. But thank God the two of us can talk and, and disagree on Martha's Vineyard. If I even <laughs> made a statement that Donald Trump's constitutional rights were violated, everybody would scream at me. They wouldn't scream at me. They wouldn't talk to me. They would cross the street. Uh, and walked the other way. One day, a guy, <laughs> a doctor, a doctor named Merle Berger. I was on the porch of the Chilmark store, you know, gossiping with a couple of friends. And he started walking to the porch. And I said to my friends, he's going to see me. He's going to make believe he didn't see me. He's going to turn around and walk away. And they all said, you're paranoid. He did exactly that. I got it on videotape. And that's the way people are in Martha's Vineyard. Thank God on your show. We can agree, we can disagree, and we can continue to be friends. Of course. That's because I'm a Republican. I'm tolerant. Your Democrat friends are not, but I love you. <laughs> but I do. I know. But I got to get to the, uh, to the, sure. this Trump indictment because when you came on with me and you're on all the time because you're great, after the second indictment, not the Alvin Bragg thing, which you said to me and I still quote it in your 60 years, you've never seen a more pathetic uh, indictment than that. But you thought the second one had some teeth, Mar-a-Lago. I read something this morning where some other lawyer, not as good as you, said, hey, of all four, this is the one, the Georgia one, which may turn out to be the biggest issue for Donald Trump. I don't see it, do you? No, I read, I read the same thing. Remember, in my book, Get Trump, I predicted every one of these indictments. I also predicted that the judge would not accept the Hunter Biden plea bargain. That's why Mark Levin the other day called me the legal Nostradamus. Yep. I get my predictions right because I don't make them based on wishful thinking. I make them based on my experience. This is not a strong indictment from what I've read. It's 90-something pages. I'm through about two-thirds of it. The way to test an indictment is ask yourself the following question. What if it were true? What if the election were stolen? What if it was fraud? What if the machines were manipulated? Would anything in this indictment be a crime? And if the answer is no, they did exactly what they should have done if the election had been stolen. And if Donald Trump actually believed, which I think he did, that the election was stolen, how do you make things like that a crime? How is this case different then from um, the, the uh, case of the former uh, the, the woman running for governor of, uh, of Georgia who is still complaining about the, the election? Or Jamie Raskin trying to raise issues uh, in the 2016 election. Or your friend Hillary Clinton. Yeah, or the 1960 election or the 2000 election where I was part of the conspiracy 
I mean, I and very distinguished lawyers, my colleague Lawrence Tribe and, and others, were trying to undo the results of Bush versus Gore. We claimed, I think we were right, that the election was not proper because Florida, where, which determined the outcome of the presidential election, 570 votes, the butterfly ballot, the hanging chads, all of that. Or were we guilty of conspiracy? No, of course not. Were the people who alleged that Jefferson beat Aaron Burr? In 1800, guilty were the people who complained about the Tilden Hayes election guilty. We have a process for challenging elections, and that process includes coming up with a slate of alternate electors, not fake electors, but electors who should have been elected had the process been fair. And if you make a mistake about it and you go on television and you make a speech, the first overt act in this indictment is that President Trump went on television and said he had won the election. That's now alleged to be part of a criminal enterprise. He believed it, just like Stacey Abrams believed it, just like Hillary Clinton believed it, just like others believed it. The court said, no, they were wrong, um, but they believed it. And unless Georgia can prove beyond a reasonable doubt by getting into Trump's mind that he actually believed he had lost the election legitimacy, this indictment shouldn't stand up. Right. They're all the same. Mike Pence could hurt him the last time, but Trump didn't believe it. You're right. It can't stand up because he really did believe that. I would ask you this, though. Somehow they managed to indict 19 people, including my good friend Woody Giuliani and Mark Meadows. Right. 41 charges, 13 apiece for Trump and Giuliani. Uh, how in the hell did they manage to get all those charges and all these indictments? Because they charge things that not crime, things that lawyers ordinarily uh, do. You know, when they come after the lawyers, you know we're on the way to a banana republic. And they're coming after the lawyers. The 65 Project has sworn to get every single lawyer who ever defended Trump either indicted or disciplined or disbarred. And when I complained against the 65 Project, guess what they did? They filed a bar complaint against me. Um, and they're intimidating lawyers. And this indictment intimidates lawyers. What it says is, if anybody ever calls you and asks you to challenge an election, stay away from that because you're going to get indicted if you lose. Um, you know, on my on my podcast, I give out bananas. We're up to three bananas now on a scale of ten. And this indictment may deserve a fourth banana. Um, and, 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 you know, we have to stay away from Banana Republic. In Ecuador, they murdered the uh, candidate running against the president. Here they're not doing that, thank God. But they're, they're, they're threatening him with four indictments. By the way, I think the prosecutors in these cases care more about winning a trial than they do about having it sustained on appeal. They want the trials before the election. They want to have quick victories. And if it's reversed on appeal a year from now, big deal. The election will have been over so uh, or close to over at that point. So uh, I, I, I really think that if to the extent that the Trump people can get any of these cases up to appeal or to the Supreme Court before the trial, that would be the right thing to do. For example, they ought to move for a change of venue uh, in the Washington case and a change of judge. And they might be able to appeal that if it's lost before the trial yeah. even begins, because yeah. they wait until after a conviction and then an appeal. You know, we're into 2015. And by that time, you know, a new president or the same president uh, will be inaugurated. So that's been the tactic of many of the Democrats. Get a down and dirty, quick 
conviction, and then we're not going to worry about the appeal. Right. Uh, two more. That's not going to happen. They're not going to change the job or judge or move the venue. I know they should uh, uh, move forward without his attorneys, but it's never going to happen. In fact, uh, even in New York, the judge refused to recuse himself just yesterday. But I do want to get to... Um, to the racketeering charge. I mentioned I'm in the movie Inside Man, and, and uh, right. you know, I'm a mob guy. I like to follow it, so I'm familiar with racketeering. I couldn't figure out how that applies to President Trump and his crew. Can you explain that to me? Yeah, well, I once had a client, uh, an Italian-American client, who was um, uh, on the waterfront somewhere, and he was indicted uh, under RICO, and he calls me, and he says, Hey, Alan, hey, Alan. He says, what'd they, what'd they get me under this RICO statute? What'd they name it RICO? My name's RICO. Why didn't they name the statute Morris or John or Tony? But they named it RICO. And, you know, of course they named it RICO. It was an acronym because it was designed to go after the mafia. It was written by a great, great constitutional lawyer at Notre Dame University. And the statute was clearly designed to get the hierarchy of the mafia. Then it was expanded to include labor unions and some, but it's never been used to go after a presidential campaign that is protesting an election. It wasn't designed for that. And if you read, you know, when you read a statute and you read an indictment and it's based on RICO and conspiracy, you know it's probably going to be pretty weak because those are statutes that are so expansive. Liberals used to hate those statutes. Oh, my God, RICO, conspiracy. The plaything of prosecutors. Now, of course, the same people on the left are cheering for the statute. Expand it. Broaden it. Mm. Make sure it covers Trump. Uh, you know, the ends justify the means. And that's not the America that I was brought up in, the America I love, and the legal system that I have fought to preserve for 60 years. One more. I do want to move from Trump to Biden. I saw you on Mark Levin on Sunday, and you were great. As You're always great. I mean, you're just wherever you go, you're great, Alan. Um, and you guys talked about the special counsel. We know the appointment of David Weiss is an absolute joke, an insult, a slap in the face of any any American who's keeping score here. I mean, it's an absolute joke. I know Levin brought up a special counsel for Joe Biden as well, but you talked about the Hunter Biden case moving to Los Angeles. Maybe some evidence that the feds, may have found something. What do you mean by that? Well, the case was originally going to be brought in tiny little Delaware, which has home cooking, obviously, for locals, and the Bidens live in Delaware. And the the prosecutor has now said that the case can be brought in uh, Los Angeles or Central California and maybe in, in, in other places. Um, and that suggested to me maybe they found something uh, that would justify the case being brought in in um, in uh, California. Now we know that some of the tax returns were filed in California, but it's it's speculative. But uh, th- this prosecutor should not have been appointed. The statute, the regulations say that it has to be somebody outside of the government, and they, he's in the government. He's the U.S. Attorney for the for the for the state of Delaware. So the the appointment itself raised very serious legal uh, questions. And uh, he's going to try to justify his previous uh, deal, which many people thought was a sweetheart deal, and try to show that it was the right thing. So he's exactly the wrong person to be doing an independent investigation. Do you think, uh, Dersh, that this does go all the way to Joe? Because if it does, again, here's another uh, reason why you should stop saying you voted for Joe Biden. But if it does, uh, what Joe Biden did, a heck of a lot worse than these four fakakta, there's a good Yiddish word, than these four fakakta indictments against my friend. Well, look, there ought to be a special counsel appointed to investigate 
the possible involvement of the president in his son's crimes. Right now, the special counsel that was appointed is limited to the classified material, uh, which is a nothing burger. I mean, every former government official probably has some classified material that they've taken home with them either by accident or because they're writing a memoir. Um, but there should be a special counsel appointed to look into the Burisma. Uh, I had a case when I was a very, very young lawyer. The mayor of Johnstown, Pennsylvania, was uh, giving out uh, cable licenses. And uh, one of the big cable companies hired his son as a public relations guy. The son had no qualifications. And they paid him a lot of money. And the court held that that money could be attributed to the father if the father knew about it and arranged it. I mean, there are cases that justify looking into, looking into the uh, Joe Biden connection. Right now, I haven't seen the evidence. I've seen allegations. And there has to be solid proof beyond a reasonable doubt if you're going after the president of the United States. It has to be unquestionably true. The same thing should be true of a man who's running for president. The standards should be very high, and they haven't been met in this case. Dorsha, I love you. I can't tell you uh, how honored I am every time you come on. You really are great. Another great conversation. Thank you so much. Let's do it again very soon, buddy. Enjoy your day. Thank you. I appreciate it. You got it. That's the great attorney out in Dershowitz. I can't get enough of that guy. I love him. I really do. But my next guest is really my guy. I mean, nobody does it bigger 840 on Thursday mornings than this guy. Or, of course, weeknights at 9 o'clock on WABC and the great BillOReilly.com. Bill O'Reilly making a special Tuesday visit to Sid and Friends in the morning. And then the Governor David Patterson right after that special 9 o'clock hour about to come your way. Do not change this style. And these children that you spit on Wednesday try to change their worlds are immune to your consultations they're quite aware what they're going through don't tell them to grow up out of it Is sit in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. The Fulton County DA, the classic Fanny by the Bee Gees. So we have a special guest coming on now. He's usually here on Thursday mornings. No segment, none throughout the week. It's higher ratings than O'Reilly and Rosenberg, 840 Thursday mornings. But on this big day with the President Trump being indicted for the fourth time, Bill O'Reilly kind enough to come back again on a Tuesday. Bill, my man, good morning. How are you? Um. uh I don't know what adjective I am this morning. Um, I, I'm worried about 
the country, and that's why I wanted to come on and talk to you about this. So let's just run it down methodically. No emotion, no whataboutism, no hysteria, none of that. I don't. I think WABC listeners would be better served to step back now and see a bigger picture. So number one, Rosenberg said something very astute in the eight o'clock hour. I know no way. many people fainted, <laughs> but he he said that he didn't care about this when he heard about it after the Met game. And imagine going to the Mets. Pirate game that supersedes yes. the indictment against Ray. true Met, so pi- Met pirate game in the rain on a Monday night. Right. <laughs> okay, so that's more important than <laughs> another indictment. Yeah, um, to fifty percent of the American population. So fifty percent of us feel the way Rosenberg feels. Okay, another day, another indictment. We all know it's political. It's wrong. We're angry it's happening, but it doesn't change our opinion one way or the other about Donald Trump. I would say 50% of Americans are in that category. The other 40% hate Trump and want him, if they could hang him like the witches at Salem, Mm. They would do it. They'd find a way to impose capital punishment on Donald Trump. You know, you, 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 you kind of giggled when you said that. That's not an exaggeration. Very anecdotal, but I have friends and family that would show up. They would pay money to see that. I mean that. Yes, they would. And that's, you know, when you read Killing the Witches, I, I attach that book to modern-day politics. It's not just about Salem way back in the 17th century. Okay, Dershowitz said something interesting in the last half hour. He brought up the 2000 election, where he himself is up to his eyebrows trying to overturn that in favor of Al Gore. So if you look back on the 2000 election, you see all kinds of hysterical analysis coming out of the political precincts. To his credit, Al Gore was not among those doing it. And that is the most positive thing Al Gore has on his historical legacy. He did not do it. But his acolytes did it. And they did it at the level of Trump and his acolytes in the year 2000 in Florida. And the Supreme Court stepped in and said, no, the state of Florida has a right to count the votes in the way they're counting them, and George W. Bush is president. Fast forward to today. What is going to have to happen here is the Supreme Court is going to have to put an end to this madness. They are going to have to get involved again now in the indictments against Donald Trump. Now, are we sure that they they uh, they can do that? Uh, of course they can, the Supreme okay, Court. Here's, here's the road now. Okay. It's an excellent question you're asking, Rosenberg. I'm, I'm like, shocked. <laughs> Kid now should be doing Meet the Press on NBC. Okay? Fire all of those NBC people and put Kid in that chair. Okay. Thank you. So what you have on the surface, and anybody 
who is going to try these cases on television or radio is a charlatan and doing you, the listener, a disservice. Because we don't know all of the information. I know the ideologues will run wild on both sides. That is what they do for a living. And if you want to consume that kind of a product, that's up to you. But fair Americans, those who want a just country, you just step back. So if you look at this Georgia indictment, okay, there are 19 people indicted, including Donald Trump, by one local prosecutor in Fulton County, Georgia. So she's basically using a wrecking ball to indict everybody that worked for Donald Trump on his election, okay, in a way that is so obscure that Alan Dershowitz couldn't describe it. I kept waiting for him to say, well, here's the heart of the case. There is no heart of the case. It's like Alvin Bragg in New York City. We still don't know what the federal crime is that allowed Bragg to bring this Stormy Daniels case forward. He won't say. So if I'm Donald Trump, number one, I stop attacking federal judges and all of that. It doesn't do any good. Not going to happen. You've got your folks, Mr. President. They're not going to bail on you. You don't need to persuade them a thousand times. They believe the fix is in. And when you contrast it to the Biden family, it's just shocking. All right. But you know, you know, you know, you know that suggestion, while smart and would be the best thing for Trump, is never going to happen. Never. Well, wait, 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 wait. That, I'm not. No, I don't believe that. Really? So Trump's lawyers have got to petition the federal court system in Florida, not in D.C., that Donald Trump's civil rights are being violated, that this is a malicious prosecution coming from four different venues, that it's coordinated, political, designed to take him out of the 2024 race. Now, I don't have a law degree. I was at Harvard when Dershowitz was there studying public administration i did make fun of dershowitz every hour on the hour okay when i was in cambridge and i'm not a lawyer but i am an american and i believe that this is a coordinated effort to take trump off the table and destroy him and the powers of the state local and federal government are coordinating to do it in unison so the lawyers for Trump file a civil rights lawsuit that has to be heard. Then you're into the system. And if you lose at the appellate level or whatever, you can't appeal. You see what I'm talking about? A hundred percent. I can't believe they haven't done it already. I mean, I know he came back and he sued E. Jean Carroll after her initial lawsuit. Yeah, all right. But, that, but, no, I know, but I, but I can't believe he hasn't done this already because it just makes so much you sense. You call up your guys, Takapina yeah. yep. and Adalia, yep. and, and see if I'm wrong, because I'm not. Well, what do you mean you're wrong? When you say see if you're wrong, you mean wrong if, if they can actually legally. bring the case? Yes, legally. Yeah. yeah. Okay? Yeah. 
So every American has certain rights. And if the government conspires, and you can certainly make this case with Fannie, because it could, Fannie took two and a half years to do this. That could have been done in two and a half months. No, nothing changed. And why is she bringing it in Fulton County anyway when most of the Trump interactions happened in another county in Georgia that didn't bring any of this? You got a thousand things you can throw at, at this uh, system to protect an American, Donald Trump, from a political prosecution. You see what I'm saying here? I do. Now, the Supreme Court is the only hope for this country. Because once this starts, it's never going to stop. You're going to start to see in the future all people running for office starting to get prosecuted and sued and this and that. If this works, then people running for office have no protections. Trump has paid $40 million in legal fees. Nobody can do that except him because he has money coming into his political action committees that are being used to pay the bills. So you basically have this tsunami of lawsuits in a political area designed to destroy certain political candidates and officials. Now, I can make that case that I'm not even a lawyer. Well, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. Because you know how much I love and respect you. And I'm not a lawyer either. Married to a beautiful lawyer, but not a lawyer. But what you're saying made so much sense that if it's okay with you, because you made such an impassioned plea and a smart plea, I'm going to bring on one of the aforementioned attorneys you mentioned, Arthur Idala, and you can ask him right here, right now, whether or not we can make this happen. Audio, you there? I am here. Hello, Mr. O'Reilly. Hello, Mr. Rosenberg. Hi. Uh, Idala, I know you're a huge, huge fan of uh, Bill O'Reilly, and you wouldn't miss this segment. Bill, if you want to give the Monarch version quickly as to whether or not we can go about this legally for Artie, feel free to do it. All right. Well, you heard me, right, Counselor? I, I heard, uh, yes, I heard a bunch of what you're saying. Here, and here, look, Bill, let me tell you where I totally agree with you. And it's scary, but I'm, I'm doing it based on what happened to me and us, I should say, in the Harvey Weinstein case. The day that the jury was being selected in Manhattan was the same day that the Los Angeles uh, District Attorney's Office uh, indicted him. And it was all over the cover of every newspaper as I'm trying to pick a fair and impartial jury that Harvey's now indicted elsewhere. And the Manhattan prosecutors swore to us they had nothing to do with it, nothing to do with the indictment or the timing, right up until the, the L.A. prosecutor gave their press conference where they thanked the Manhattan District Attorney's Office and specifically the lawyer who was trying the case against us for all of their cooperation and coordination in bringing this case in Los Angeles. So we were lied to right to our face whether it was a coordinated effort to bring down Harvey Weinstein. So you right, say a coordinated this, effort this, to bring down the President of the United States is very feasible. Okay. Now, listen. This is different than any case you've ever tried because politicians are indem indemnified when they're in office, which means when Trump was president, you could not sue Trump. Okay? 
and you can't sue Alvin Bragg. No matter how he screws up, the law says once they're in office, you can't be sued based upon what they do because the founding fathers knew nobody could govern with 100 lawsuits lamed at them to destroy them. Correct? Am I correct right now? Well, you can sue them, but they don't. It, the, the money doesn't come out of their pocket. It comes out of our you, pocket. You can't sue them personally. Correct. You have to Correct. go after an office or something like that. Well, number one, Trump is a former president who still has certain protections under the Constitution. And number two, um, an MSNBC commentator could make this case that this is a coordinated <laughs> effort to destroy a political candidate. That's what it is. Fanny doesn't take two and a half years, okay? I mean, that's would you agree with point, me though. there? This speech, the two and a half point. years? Yeah, that, that is by far the strongest point. Here's the problem for the president in, in at least, especially the Florida jurisdiction, more than any others, is that there's some evidence that shows he thumbed his nose at our system. And by the letter of the law, if you look at line by line of the indictments, there's nothing in the indictment, in that particular indictment in Florida, that is such a stretch that, oh, they really went out of their way to go after this guy because they do things like this. I mean, we all know Martha Stewart went to jail, not because she committed a crime, but she merely lied when she went into for a voluntary interview with the government. So the government has, an, it has a history of targeting people and then just going after them. That's why Justice Scalia hated the special prosecutor. Well, but, but with all that said, that you're right about that, and that's a good job, uh, especially with the, the, the uh, Martha stuff, uh, some historical reference. But with all that said, uh, based upon the, the sum of all this, the sum of all this, not the individual uh, indictments, the sum of all this, it's clear that Bill O'Reilly is correct. It's a very simple question. Do you think there's enough there? For you and Takapina or Alina Haba, the rest of these people, to actually file a lawsuit claiming that, you know, civilly they are going after uh, Donald Trump. And what Bill O'Reilly is asking, is that possible? It would be it would be called a malicious prosecution claim. That's what the claim would be filed under. It would be filed in civil court, actually, under a malicious uh, prosecution claim. Do I think it would be, it would prevail? I don't, because the facts of the individual cases. Forget about the Manhattan one, but at least two of the three are going to stand on their own. They are. They're going to stand on their own. They're going to be able to say that the government's going to say, Your Honor, in the civil case for the malicious prosecution, we asked him to return the boxes. He said he did. We walked in. They're all right there in plain view. He lied to us. Boom. That's the end of the case. Now, it's not a malicious prosecution. They have a real case that grand jurors have heard and said there's enough probable cause to at least take it to a trial. All right. So say that happens um, and say that's what this, it goes to the Supreme Court, because you've got to try that anyway. What you're trying to do is you're trying to delay this so we have an election here that's untainted Agreed. by Bragg and Fannie and the rest of them. So the Supreme Court says, OK, we see that there is merit on two of the cases that we don't even know what Bragg is charging here. So they're thrown out, and then two more go forward, but not until the election of 2024 is held. 
Supreme Court knows. They know. Believe me. All nine of them know. Three of them don't care. But they know that this is a political prosecution, counselor. There be, may be merit, to, and I've said that on my program, that that was a huge mistake that Trump made, not going back and giving the National Archives the documents. Yeah, you said that, yep. Right, but what Trump's lawyers are going to argue, and they'll lose, is that he declassified them anyway and had the right to do that. That's going to take time to adjudicate, all right? But what the Democrats want, and they're all Democrats, all of these people, every single one of them, there's not one independent or Republican jurist involved in any of this. Well, hold on, Bill. Isn't the, isn't the judge in the Florida case a Republican appointed by Donald no. Trump? She's appointed by, but not an active Republican. Okay? So Bragg and Fannie and, and uh, Smith. All of these people and the judge in D.C., you see what the judge in D.C. said about Trump? Yes. yes on the record and that, in public? That you're telling me listen, that's a recusal motion that she yeah. will put in a recusal motion. But, but, Bill, listen, I've listened to you a lot. Here's what you have to understand about the Supreme Court of the United States of America. Even though this is the biggest case in the country, they have very strict rules that they follow. So I know I heard you on Sid last week saying uh, regarding change of venue for that Washington, D.C. case is going to go to the Supreme Court of the United States. The Supreme Court of the United States would have to kind of break all of their rules and all of their precedents to take that case on before that case goes to trial. It's just not the way they normally do. Now, as you started this statement with me, it's out of the ordinary, so maybe they will do that. Well, this is the same thing that happened. In 2000, when the Supreme Court injected itself into that election and basically said, we're giving the presidency to George Bush. Yeah, but that's that not necessarily accurate, though. I have to, Professor O'Reilly, I have to correct you because I had hours of conversations with Justice Scalia about this. He, they did not inject themselves. Al Gore pro- appropriately brought the right legal cases in the right forums, and the only thing that they did was they jumped over the Circuit Court of Appeals and went right to the Supreme Court because Scalia said it was going to come to us anyway, so we weren't uh-huh. going to waste our time with the law. Well, you court. just made my point. No, but the, the Supreme but Court wanted – wait a minute. The Supreme Court wanted to put an end to the madness because it knew it was destroying the fabric of the country. So the protocol okay. was violated by the Supreme Court. But it really now, wasn't not, violated by the Supreme Court. It wasn't. And they, it followed Al Gore actually said, followed the correct roadmap. You just said they leaped over one federal court apparatus, and they did. That's accurate. Look, the Supreme Court could have said in 2000, we're not going to do this. We're not going to hear it. All right. But they knew. And I'm, I'm, I'm doing this because I know right now the Supreme Court understands the political component. If Trump is allowed to be destroyed by this partisan effort to charge him with everything, then no political candidate going forward will be safe. That's the over arch. The Supreme Court understands that. 
Hold on. But what you're discounting here, Mr. O'Reilly, is that in that uh, Bush v. Gore, there was not a grand jury, two grand juries, three grand juries, four grand juries of the citizens of the United States of America who said there are charges, criminal, real criminal charges to go forward here. And the justices are supposed to listen to the citizens and not just run roughshod over them. They were going to say, I'm, I'm not listen. saying I'm, you're right there. I'm not saying the Supreme Court is going to throw out the Mar-a-Lago documents. They don't they won't do that. But what they can do is throw out a lot of this bogus stuff like Bragg and Fanny. All right. And say, we believe that this stuff is illegitimate and politically based, but this stuff is not. You have to make a determination. Yep. All right. Okay. But we're going to suspend this until after the vote. Right. So after the election, we got, we, um, unfortunately, uh, you, this is amazing radio. <laughs> I mean, all three, uh, you guys are great and I can listen to this, I swear, for hours, but, uh, we do have to take a commercial break at some point. And I do agree, uh, Bill, that, that, that at the very sorry, least. It's your show. No, you I know. Give me one minute at the end. Go ahead. Get, uh, but at the very least, you know, you, you don't want to run the clock out. And, uh, if this will extend it just a bit, to give Donald Trump a uh, uh, fair uh, fair run, then uh, his lawyers should absolutely consider it whether they win it or not. And that's why right, I, I want to give Idala a couple of tickets to see us live <laughs> in October 27th at Huntington. Yes. Because Arthur needs to see us, a dose of reality. <laughs> No, no, I'll bring you guys water. Maybe I could be on the side. I could just be the guy who comes out and gives you a cup of water. Bill, Bill, the only thing I wanted to say, because I, I always want you to be accurate, just so you know, for the Supreme Court of the United States to get the Manhattan DA's office case, it has to run through the state system. Believe it or not, those nine justices are not allowed to touch the state case. They can't just come in and say, oh, we want to deal with this. It's like the NFL commissioner can't make a call on the NBA. So you have to exhaust the whole state system, go up to the Court of Appeals of the state of New York, and then you have to go to the Supreme Court of the United States and say, will you take this or will you not take this? So it's just not once so Brad, easy to once get all this Brad defines Once Bragg defines what the federal crime is, all of that goes out the window, and you know it counts. All right, fair enough. That's right, going to do it. The case, that one. All right, Sid, I'm sorry I took up so much nah, time. No, you, 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 you were good. This was great. Uh, my phone has not stopped blowing up. Bill O'Reilly, as always, this is the reason why Bill O'Reilly is the best in the business. And, Audie, you did a very good job. I love you both. Bill, we'll do this again uh, on Thursday. Thank you for calling in. This turned out to be a spectacular radio segment. Thank you both, the great Bill O'Reilly and, of course, Arthur Idala. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. My phone is blowing up, man. It is blowing up. Lynn Hort, Ralph Napolitano, Anthony Barbarisi, Kevin McKay, Patty P., Mark St. Hilaire, I know I'm missing a whole bunch of people. I apologize. Uh, John Katsimatidis, Bill O'Reilly, Frankie Kravitz. Everybody's saying the same thing. That was great radio. Further's my genius. I am. You know who would not argue that is uh, Governor David Patterson. I had no idea that uh, my guy Patterson was a fan of mine all these years. He told me last night at the Met game, quote, 
I've been a fan of yours for 20 years. Maybe you're just being nice. I don't know. But we did go to the Met game last night. Keith Kantrowitz, Anthony Carone, me and the governor. And ended up seeing Jay Horowitz and had a great time. John Katsimatidis always uses this term, common sense Democrat. They don't exist. Sorry, John. I love you like my own father. They don't exist. Well, there's one. And that's Governor David Patterson. Here he is, one of the nicest men you'll ever meet, former governor, who got screwed, mind you, and not the way Elliot Spitzer did, David Patterson. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Sid, uh, all I can say is you were one of the nicest people I ever met until you asked me to come on and follow Bill O'Reilly. That was a fascinating conversation. Wasn't that great? I mean, you know, O'Reilly and and clearly uh, Idala disagreed with Bill on a bunch of those spots in terms of what Trump's team could do legally and not legally. But I thought the uh, the back and forth uh, was great. And that's one thing with you, David, is you're a Democrat. You've been a Democrat your whole life. But you'll sit in a room with a bunch of Republicans, and you'll have a pretty nice back and forth. And we seem to have lost that somewhere. Uh, well, one of the things that Bill O'Reilly did, uh, and it actually made his support for foreign President Trump, uh, you know, more understandable is he did mention the areas where he thinks the former president made mistakes, not returning documents, um, trying to say that he could declassify them in his head, that kind of thing. So the fact that he cast that out gave him greater credibility in, in the conversation. They were both excellent. I agree with you. you know, look, I, and, and I'm a huge Trump supporter. I love Donald Trump, but I was critical of him on January 6th. He didn't incite a riot, but he certainly waited too long. I, I think uh, what's happened now, and I, I always say this, you can appreciate this, Dave, because you're a great sports guy. I always say, hey, Vince Lombardi lost a game. Pat Riley lost a game. You know, Donald Trump lost that day. Doesn't mean he's not a great coach, not a great president, but nobody wins every day. But because the left is so brutal in how they treat Trump, his supporters feel like every day has to be a win. And that's silly to me. I get it, but it's silly. If that makes sense. And this happens on both sides, Sid, because there are a lot of things that have happened that a lot of Democrats have not liked. And sometimes what happens is it pushes you into a situation where you can't acknowledge things that people acknowledged all the time. For instance, the crime issue around New York. Now, the crime numbers aren't nearly what they were 30 years ago. However, the crimes from 30 years ago were different. They were drug crimes. They were gang wars. They were territorial, so East Harlem, uh, West Harlem, uh, the South Bronx, uh, South Jamaica, Bedford-Stuyvesant. These were the places where most of the crimes occurred. Now you're hearing about people getting mugged. In fact, well-known people getting mugged at 74th and Park Avenue at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, as what happened to the head of the state university. Right. True. Even Bill Bratton's wife walking down the street. My friend Corey Zelnick on the Upper East Side, his wife attacked as well. You're right. It's changed. Well, let me ask you this, then, Governor David Patterson. I'm sure you've said this on the show with John or Sunday mornings, but not here on this specific program. Do you think Mayor Eric Adams is doing a good job? Well, I think he's doing a good job because he ha- he's one elected official that has talked about it. He also, you know, recognizes that this migrant situation is going to be connected to crime because you have a bunch of people that uh, uh, either migrants coming from outside the border or people who were homeless who already lived here were getting displaced from places where they used to stay in favor of the migrants. That's going to elevate the crime rate. I think he sent that warning, and he uh, warned so much 
that the White House took him off the president's reelection committee. Oh, wow. What a- well, I mean, he, 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 Biden did do that. And the Curtis Sliwa, who um, I will say to you, I know you like Eric, but you better vote for Curtis next time, Dave, or you and I can't be friends anymore. But he does he does remind me that Bob Holden is another common-sense Democrat, and he's right. Uh, look, uh, Dave, you can't have it both ways. You know, you can't uh, identify yourself as a sanctuary city. You can't. When this first, when this thing first started, welcome these folks with open arms, throw homeless on park benches and give these people luxury hotel rooms. You can't call everybody else racist and inhumane who ship their migrants out and then all of a sudden decide, hey, it's not my problem. So well, I love the, you, but I, I, I think you're being a, a little kind to the mayor who certainly is part of this problem, not the solution. Well, I, I think we should all think about the position that the mayor is in. He's got 100,000 migrants. Uh, it costs $9.3 billion, uh, $9.3 million a day yeah. to house them. That's yeah. $3.6 billion a year. Right. You will destroy your budget and destroy your educational system right. trying to address this. And, uh, and I don't know anyone else who's spoken out as forcefully as he has. What do you mean it's forcefully? Give, 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 me, give, me, give me an example, David, of him speaking out forcefully. He spoke out forcefully last week when he blamed the federal government for sending all who, these who's, people who's here the, who's the, not sending who, any money. Who's the federal government? Well, the federal government is, is obviously the president. Well, what, well, so why does he say Joe Biden? You know why? Because he's still he still No, no, he didn't. He has not once said Joe Biden. He says the federal government. He still refers to himself as the Biden of Brooklyn. And by the well, way, and by the way, the whole issue is Biden, and it's Mayorkas, and it's the border. I'm yet to hear Eric Adams call out Mayorkas or the problem at the border. He's still talking about blaming Republicans for immigration reform. I know this. When my guy was president for four years, we didn't have these issues. He's not talking about the problem at the border. He's talking about the problem in New York City. Yeah, but how does it get here? How does it get here? Listen, how did it get here? From the border. you got to close the border, Dave. But the point is that the the number of people and the amount that's been sent to New York is out of line with the numbers that have been uh, sent other places. Oh, well, he wanted don't, them. Don't just attack somebody because you want to attack them or people want to see a Democrat attack another uh, Democrat. I didn't hear too many uh, Republicans attacking Trump when he was in the White House, and I don't blame them for not doing that. But they did point out situations. Wait, wait, you didn't, you didn't hear, wait, wait, wait a second. You, you didn't hear Republicans attack Trump, Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell. I mean, looks again, Trump was president, Dave. We didn't have these issues. He had a remain in Mexico policy, Title 42. He was building a wall. We had none of these issues. Then the Democrats take over, White House, governor, mayor, and everybody's yelling and screaming, don't blame me. What, what you're not understanding is when you're mayor of a city. Yeah. It's not really your – the parameters of the city are the place that you should be talking about. What he's talked about is what's happening to him. The, the uh, 40 counties in New York State mm-hmm. that are threatening to sue if any migrants are put in those counties, yeah. they're not going to attack Governor Hochul, but they're going to say that the state policy has to change. Like everything doesn't have to be that you call people out. We're not on the playground here. This is serious. No, I agree. And, and let me say this to you, uh, David Patterson. If they come to my neighborhood, I'll sue, too. I'll sue Eric Adams in 13 seconds. I'll sue, too, because, again, I have a very long memory. And I love you to pieces, but 
Please, don't don't show me a pile of dung and tell me it's cadaver chocolate. I remember very vividly him saying, come, come, I'll take care of you. Here's your Xbox. Here's your hotel room. Here's all. We got you, baby. We got you. So that now. Is now when th- that is when the first uh-huh. uh, migrants came. And some of the migrants were sent by the governor of Texas. Sure. At that time, I don't think he anticipated that the federal government was going well, to... I don't care whether, I don't, I don't care whether he, him. I don't care whether he anticipated it or not. From the very beginning, he should have been... Oh, you should have been, no, not here. From the very beginning. And then maybe you wouldn't have all these issues. You can't, well, Dave, you can't have it both ways. It's my point. It's my only no, point. I'm only having it one way. You're the one that's having it both ways because the reality is that when the migrants first came, no one knew that the, this was going to be a federal policy and also mm-hmm. that they were going to distinguish places like New York City and high-density uh, areas to send the migrants, which is absolutely wrong. But you, you don't jump out and say something before the other side's actually done it. He, he's not a psychic. Now, maybe you are, but he isn't. Yeah, I guess I am. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm just a dopey radio host, and I could, I could have seen this thing from 100,000 miles away. It was not going to stop. The border is it's a sieve. That's the issue. It's not even Adams in New York City. It's the border. Until this Democrat regime closes the border, which they won't do for a variety of reasons, including votes, of course it was never going to stop. You don't got to be a genius to figure that out. There's a billion people there. That's a a fair point. Thank you. But at the same time, what I'm saying is his most immediate problem is trying to run the city and at the same time trying to run the city when they are practically wiping out 10% of his budget. That's his problem. And that in the end, is going to be how he's going to be measured. Uh, he's not running for president. He may be even wrong or right about how he feels about the border. But his job right now is to manage the city. And I thought that, uh, unlike mayors of other cities, he spoke up about it. Okay. I'll, uh, I will disagree. He did mention federal government but he continues to say things like Biden's doing a good job, Hochul's doing a good job, and I can't, I can't respect him for that. And I, and I do like him, by the way. But what I want from you right now, uh, Governor Patterson, and you're much smarter than me. Uh, you know, I get, I get, you know, I like to go back and forth. But uh, don't ever confuse the issue. You're much smarter than me. But can I get you right now to pledge your allegiance and promise me that you will vote for Curtis Sliwa when he runs again against Mayor Adams? Uh. The last time Curtis ran, yeah. I got one of these bets with someone at the station. They haven't paid up yet. So <laughs> all I'm going to say yeah. is the only way Curtis will win is if there's an earthquake and he's the only survivor. Really? That's yeah. <laughs> He has no chance. Now why do you say he's got no chance? I'm curious. Well, I think Curtis is very bright. I used to do a radio show with him. Yeah. Um, but I think that his... Uh, you know, the, the way he campaigns, it looks more like a sideshow than an actual campaign. Does he know the issues? Yes. Can he does he have the institutional memory? Yeah, he has a, a tremendous, particularly historic memory about things that have gone on. Right. But I would think you would need somebody who had a little more government experience and, per, you know, a, a kind of like a. a you know, like a, a Giuliani type. Giuliani was um, not considered at that time a, a big conservative, but he was a real tough on crime person. Right. And he was able to meet David Dingus. I think you'd need someone with that kind okay. of 
repertoire. 30 seconds to go. I'm going to check your memory here, Governor Patterson, because I have to say I really did love hanging out with you last night. You're a lot of fun. You're smart. You're, you're just a great guy. Let me check your memory. Who were the only five guys to manage both the Mets and the Yankees? Quickly. Oh, my God. Joe Torre, right. Yogi Berra, right. Dallas Green. Yes. Oh, my God. I knew this last night. Uh, <laughs> the, the guy managing the Mets right now? Uh, yeah, that's right. Buck Shorewalter. And the last one is who? 62. 62. Oh, that's right, Casey Stingle, the original manager of the Mets. There you go. Governor Patterson, I love you. we got to do that more. I really enjoy hanging out with you. <laughs> Take care. You too. Great conversation. I think I'm done for the day. That'll do it. <laughs> Such a good radio show. I got It's just unbelievable. But i got to go. Brian Kilmeade's coming up next. Till tomorrow. Peace. <laughs>